On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're being awkward with Larry David in the 12th and final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm on Sky Comedy. Taking the phrase grin and bear it a little too literally with Seth MacFarlane's Ted spin-off on Sky Max. Heading up north to hang out Merseyside for Scouset comedy Gwed on ITVX. And strapping on our Spartan armour and catching up with the Master Chief in the second season of Halo on Paramount+. Plus. But that's not all, because Boydie also spoke to Donald Gleason and Andrea Riseborough for Alice and Jack, which airs next week on Channel 4. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your essential guide to every show that matters, and a podcast that finds ourselves divided this morning. Divided into the haves and the have-nots, specifically those who have seen the first two episodes of Netflix's upcoming <laughs> Elite Sci-Fi Series 3 Body Problem, and those who have not. Now, in the latter camp, you will find myself and Kay Ribeiro, consigned to ignorance. In the other, you will find hard sci-fi fan Boyd Snooty Maguti Hilton, uh, <laughs> aficionado of all things elite. Uh, Kay, are you wounded? Are you bereft? Were you distraught when Boydie went off to his VIP morning screening of this new and elite hard sci-fi show? Come on, let it all out. Well, why do you think I've got this black armband on? I'm That's furious. Fair, yeah. I'm in mourning that I didn't get invited. Shunned you were. Mm. Shunned don't, you were. First snubbed. of all, don't pretend you weren't invited, James, because you were you were invited <laughs> to the screening. You just couldn't be bothered to make it. So. It was very early. <laughs> was How early? early? What, seven? Like nine. Nine? nine. You're a you oh fault yourself, God. though, because not only was He's it a screening... such a diva. I know. Not only is it a screening of something you are absolutely fascinated oh my God, by, yeah. it's completely in your wheelhouse, but also there were lo- lovely pastries, coffee, <gasps> tea, you know, in the, in the place, in, mm. the, in the hotel where it was screened. So, well, look, I did, yeah. I did take the time to crawl across my bedroom to my laptop to email Netflix and ask them for a screener. So, uh, please, if anyone from Netflix is listening to this, please do not indulge him. You know the funny that thing? Is, that is unbearable. The funny thing about this screening was that obviously the main reason they do these in advanced screenings is is um, to get feedback from the, to get an idea of what people think of a show. So um, they asked for my feedback and I emailed them. And as I was writing my feedback, I, all I was thinking of was what would James think of this thing? Oh, like, what no. his, Did I you almost, write? Yes. Did you write in your feedback to specifically address it to Benioff and Weiss and say, <laughs> what is your issue with the definite article? Because, uh, well, I mean, yeah. the three-body problem yeah. became three-body three body problem. problem. And of course, they don't like the indefinite article either, no. because a Game of Thrones became Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Yeah. So, yeah. Pythia. Articles generally, they're just, you know. What's the what's the prequel one called? Oh, House of the Dragon. House, yeah, The House of the Dragon should it be, do you think? Uh, that's a, a House good of the Dragon. Point. Yeah. What's interesting, I mean, this is interesting, or is it? But <laughs> I somehow think that the title Three Body Problem is much better than The Three Body Problem. Something mm-hmm. about it. Do you know what you're doing? I agree, you're yeah. yeah. Yeah, And it's a really good title. Um, and uh, I think, unless unless it, there was a reference to it, which when I went, had to use the uh, bathroom in the middle, because we watched two episodes, two hours. Oh, you missed the crux of the whole thing. Screening was two hours. Unless I'm very much mistaken, there's no reference to what the three-body problem is in the first two episodes. I believe it involves celestial bodies, not that kind of Spoiler alert. Filthy. Spoiler uh, alert. Is that yeah. a spoiler? It's elite sci-fi. The, of course I, there are celestial uh, bodies in it. I, I, I signed my life away on, on whatever the embargo, heavily embargoed. Mm, as, heavily, as, I don't even know if we're allowed to admit there was a screening. I think we are, actually. I think we are. I think it's okay. Um, That would be redonk if you can't. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes they don't like you telling me. I didn't go, so I didn't sign And also, it's happened now, so it's too late, isn't it? Like, (laughs) you know, there's no... There's no. Yeah. There's a sniper currently trained on Boyd. A Netflix sniper. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, well, yeah, fascinating to know what you think. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to know what I think as well. (laughs) (laughs) Have they given you the screeners yet? No, they haven't yet. Okay. They haven't yet. They're I'm pondering. waiting for a response. They're but, thinking but they're about it. They're reading my re- my reaction email. Do you think and they're thinking? Yeah. Is it safe now to give it to James? Because I think I think Dyer should be deprived. 
Really? Yeah, All because I'll say you can go to the screener. Yeah, I'm had, I literally have a reference to hard sci-fi in my response. <laughs> uh, do you think it was a step too far to ask them to also send me the pastries? <laughs> Good one. Can yeah. you imagine? A, Boyd, a what, what would you rate the pastries? Forget the good. review. Really yeah. good. I, I think I had like a um, some kind of jammy Danish, you know. Ooh. Yeah, delicious. You know Sounds what? The, I'll tell you what. The, the best. If you want to know the best pastry, in all seriousness, of at, at hotel screening rooms is mm. in the in the Soho Hotel. This is so wanky. I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. Listen, the listeners you know, what? know that we're media ITV wankers. loves the Soho Hotel. I said to one of the ITV drama press legends this week because there was a screening which I was actually going to talk about in a minute at the Soho Hotel in London and they have the best pastries there including this like blueberry thing which is mm. absolutely delicious and if you don't, if you you know if you go wrong you can just <laughs> just hoover up these like blueberry pastries anyway um, I talked about how RTV loves this, having uh, things in the Soho Hotel this, this legendary PR is always there and I said to her you know you should just move in she made reference to the fact that Elaine Stritch used to live in I think the Savoy Hotel in London and she could be near the new Elaine Stritch Reference for the kids out there. There you are. But the blueberry pastry in the Soho Hotel London is absolutely outstanding. That's where they did the Fraser launch, I think. Yeah, I think you're and, right. And um, yeah. they did a fantastic breakfast and they had a jazz yeah. band. So There you go. We're the worst human beings. Yeah, yeah we're the, the worst. Yeah, 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 I yeah. mean, you specifically oh. are the worst, worst, <laughs> and then we're the worst. I, at least we admit it, though. I admit it. I'm privileged. Oh, good. I think James line. is more privileged by the screener thing than the pastry chat. Just to, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. I think. Maybe. Although, listen, I hope it works out for you. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. Well, I mean, I was going to call Boydie out on this podcast for uh, because Boydie is obviously a self-confessed sneakerhead, uh, mm. but I can't tie it to TV, and I feel we've we've possibly exhausted the AOB any other business pre-show banter segment, <laughs> and we probably have to get onto the TV chat with the blueberry pastries. With the blueberry pastries, mm. I think you just probably right. over the edge. I was going to call you out for for misidentifying my Nike Air Max trainers that I once showed you on this podcast, which you identified to me. You were like, "Oh yes, those are Air Max ones," and you were talking about them. Turns out they're not. What are they? They oh, were Air Max 90s, oh, special edition yes. with the chenille swoosh. Right, right, right. Yeah. To, to be fair, yeah, it's, it's easy to mix up those two, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because, I mean, yeah, you've, yours are falling apart on that. You need, they you are. Need, I'm upset that yeah. my, my Air Max 90s ja- are yeah. James is wearing them with gaffer tape on. A little yeah. bit. It's a little bit <laughs> like that. They are, they're I need some sort of sneaker repair shop. You need a good cobbler. I do, I do. I they definitely are. need some cobblers. Uh, the, uh, the back of my, uh, the back of my, my, my Air Maxes are, I've seen better days. Anyway, anyway, let's get on to the TV chat. This is ostensibly a TV podcast. If you're just joining us, this is your first time on the Pilot TV podcast. All I can do is apologise. Uh, let's get on to our first section, which is, of course, what we've been watching. Boydie has been at the Soho Hotel. Yes. He probably didn't watch anything because he was too busy focusing on the blueberry pastries. But let's yes. assume that he glanced up at least briefly at the screen. What did you go to see, Boyd? <laughs> I went to see Breathtaking, which is... Was the, it? It was, yes. It's the new ITV1 drama... Uh, based on a, the book of the same name by Dr. Rachel Clark, and it mm. is a unflinching personal memoir of the greatest public health crisis in living memory, the COVID-19 pandemic, and how it particularly affected NHS workers, nurses, doctors, um, para- paramedics. Um, and it, it, I mean, it is... We'll have to review it in a few a couple of weeks' time. But prior warning for James, oh, you probably won't be able to get through for more than five minutes <sighs> in your emotional state. Um, it's a lot. What was kind of amazing was, it's written by, it's very interesting, it's written by so Rachel Clark based on her book with Jeb Mercurio and Prasanna Puanaraja, who are both ex-doctors who became, in Prasanna's case, a writer and actor, and in Jed's case, a writer, obviously. And the three of them wrote the whole thing together. And they didn't, I think it's a three-parter. We only saw the first episode, but it's already fascinating. They literally kind of wrote together over Zoom, 
the whole thing as as like you know one entity writing entity rather than you might expect one episode each or anything like that so it's fascinating that and Jed was talking about how much he enjoyed the collaborative process of working with other first time he's ever written something with other writers anyway it's going to be a major TV event and it's borderline I'm kind of thinking you know think about Mr. Bates versus the post office what an incredible impact that's had that's had a life changing politics changing real world affecting impact on on that case that huge case i think this could have a similar kind of impact because it because it because it really shows you what actually went on in 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 many hospitals not all hospitals but in many hospitals at the start of the pandemic and it is horrific and i i i know one of my best best friends is 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 a nurse and um, she, we would allude to this stuff. And she, funny enough, I posted about it. And she, she sent me a message saying, oh, she, "Gosh, not can't watch that. This, you know, it's too much mm. for an actual um, nurse to sit through." But that, you know, yeah, they think they were going through PTSD. Really, a lot, a lot of um, NHS staff. Because, and this shows what that just the level of insanity that had to deal with. How many apps is it? I think it's three. I think, but okay. I hadn't. But um, I made three or four. I think pretty much. Yeah. So we will we will be looking at that in full um, in a few weeks' time when it arrives on ITV One. And the other thing I've been watching, which was not a screening with um, blueberry uh, pastries in a lavish London Poor hotel, thing. was just just in my in the in the <laughs> privacy of my own home, is the show that we ended up not reviewing even on um, Plus because of heavy embargoes. And I can't, and there was another show that was heavily embargoed the same yep. week. So you refer, um, of course, to re- expats, Lulu Wang shows. So mm. I refer exactly. To, have you watched any of it? I have not. Watched have you it, watched no. any of it? No. So I have watched it. I've watched the first three episodes, and it's really, really good. And it's like a massive, lavishly, um, beautifully filmed production set in Hong Kong about expats and their families living in that. So, so Nicole Kidman is is effectively the lead. What um, channel? Prime Video, right on the so the Guardian review of this show, right? I'm going to have to read the Guardian. The Guardian review of this show is that: Do we really need another Nicole Kidman playing an ultra privileged wealthy <laughs> woman um, dealing with various issues? Um, you know, it, and kind of being quite harsh, particularly about her saying, you know, she really needs to move on and do something else from all these coaches, thinking of Big Little Lies. There was the other one, you know, that retreat one, which wasn't very good. Yes, Nine Perfect Strangers. Nine Perfect Strangers. And the one with Hugh Grant, the name of which Hugh I've Grant forgotten. One, was which was great. Absolutely fun. insane. It was absolutely insane, but fun. <laughs> yeah. But she does t- has played in all of those shows wealthy, privileged white women obviously she's a white woman I mean it'd be hard not yeah. to so and it's absolutely true that this is another one of those roles but also just lay off because like how many actors are doing that like well, you know, also, Hugh Grant plays one role generally yeah do you see what I mean so like why enough. are you not slagging yeah, him off fair enough fair enough mm. although I would say the, the Oompa Loompa in um, <laughs> okay, it's, fine, it's yeah, different, I mean. different different role kind of from, from that one privileged orange Oompa <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> But I just think if you, I think it's a very interesting example of that criticism of you're thinking too much about what you know. Who am I to criticize a fellow TV critic? But and I, but I did think as I actually sat down to watch it and I got completely compelled by it. Um, I was thinking if you overthink something, you know, if you overthink like what it represents, someone particular actress doing a role that she's done before, or you know, if you think just the thing is that what's important, and this mm. thing is a brilliantly written, acted, and shot show that again is another example of if this came out like 10 years ago people be like wait a minute Nicole Kidman is doing this incredibly lavish TV series with a, which is fascinating and kind of um, gripping and quite challenging in some ways and you're finding a nitpicking a thing to, to so big picture for me is that it's really 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 good really well done it is 
I won't spoil it, but there was a so there's a huge thing, there's a huge event that is the tr- center of a traumatic event. It's the center of the narrative, and what's interesting is the first episode kind of dances around it a bit, and you're not quite sure what it is. And then the second episode goes back in time, with, leading up to the thing, and it is again warning to James. I'm always thinking of, of James's yeah. mental health. Thank you, I really appreciate yeah. that. It's yeah. really distressing. Oh my god, it's so distressing. But that that's how powerful it is. Is that you're absolutely, you know, just gutted when this thing happens in this show so uh, so yeah prior warning it is it's 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 a lot to do there's with. quite a lot of things that are a lot yeah moment, i mean right? yeah i mean elmo true. on twitter recently asked are we okay oh and my I god we, yeah. we are not oh okay. my god <laughs> did you see that yeah. no i didn't see that so elmo asked are you okay on twitter and then the whole world went back and no we're really yeah. not and everyone's Trauma dumped on poor elmo everyone's yeah. like <laughs> pouring their hearts out to elmo right well, good question. Yeah, certainly Nicole Gibbons is not all right. I would say that mm. her character in Expats, and it's all about why she's not all right. And of course, famously, or not famously to me, because they screened it separately before Christmas. I think it's episode four of this thing. is a is like a standalone, which looks at two because all these wealthy families have made live in maids or live in help, you know, running their lives, babies, you know. And apparently, this episode deals with those people from those their point of view. So there's a there's a, there's a class conflict kind of element to it that is really brought out in this I think it's a feature length episode that comes up um, in, during the middle of the series so it's, I think it's fa- Sorry, fascinating Sorry you said this but where is it set? Hong Kong All right. Hong Kong at the time of you know the handover from from uh, Britain to China and all mm-hmm. of that that's that's the kind of and of course it's not allowed to be seen in Hong Kong itself there's a whole if you look in yeah, there's lots of articles about where and when you can actually see this if you're actually you know one of the people whose lives have been affected by this kind of stuff Oh you so made me want to watch it now Yeah it's, it's really interesting There you go that's what I've been watching. And it's, by by the way, it's on um, Prime Video, but it's arriving weekly, so I think the first three will be there now. Um, and then I think there's six parts altogether, probably another, yeah, two or three more weekly as it, as it arrives. FYI. Expats then on Prime. Kay, what have you been watching? With I, or without pastries, blueberry or otherwise? Yeah, no pastries here. I've been watching Louder Milk on Netflix. I've heard about this. In fact, yes. it was recommended to me just last week. Oh, Okay, well, um, yeah, it's basically the American comedy drama created by uh, Peter Farrelly of Brothers fame um, and Bobby Moore. And it basically was on AT&T um, in the US and then came, oh, it went through like a bit of a journey to come here, but now it's on Netflix. I think it's also on Prime. Um, and it's about a former music critic and recovering alcoholic who is also a substance abuse counsellor and support group leader in um, Seattle, played by Ron Livingston. Okay, I'm going to come back to that fact. And he's basically very harsh and insulting and rude, and but ultimately effective. And it's all about how he kind of like um, leads this group, gives them tough love, and how he does help people, but in a very unconventional... Like he's... What I like about this is that he's a protagonist that the lead that is very um and I know it's like facile but unlikable. He's very hard to get on board with, but his abruptness and his abrasiveness is what's quite appealing about this show. Now, I come back to Ron Livingston because I was watching it and I watched five, six episodes and I was like, Oh yeah, no, I'm getting on yeah, I like this. And then suddenly a friend texted me, the one who recommended, said, oh, yeah, yeah, did you know um, the main guy? He was in Sex and the City. And literally, I was like, oh, my God, it's Burger. <laughs> it's Burger from Sex and the City, a.k.a. Uh, Carrie's probably worst boyfriend. Or actually, Alexandra Petrovsky was also horrendous. But anyway, Burger, who dumped her famously, <laughs> on a post-it note... <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's him, and I just didn't, I didn't recognize well, him. Well, he's Ron Livingston out of Office Space. Okay, fine. Ron Livingston from Swingers. <laughs> okay, yeah, but most importantly, he's Burger from Sex and the City. Mm. So, um, yeah, I would recommend watching it, if nothing else, just to uh, marvel at the fact that, yeah, it's if post-it else. guy. But you would recommend watching it as well? Yeah, of course. Mm. Good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's a good comedy. And that's all I've been watching. Louder Milk. Okay, good to know. Uh, I've obviously been watching a few episodes of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which we reviewed on Pilot Plus last week, mm. and we had a lot of fun with, which was good. I like that. But more than that, I've been watching super privileged advanced screeners of a show that I'm fairly certain is heavily embargoed, so I cannot review. But heavily. I'm going to say what it is. I'm just not going to give any critical appraisal. I have been watching Shogun. Oh, yes. Mm. Disney Plus. Which is the Disney Plus series. His eyes are glistening. Yeah. Yes. Based yeah. on the famous book, which was, even more famously, haha, adapted <laughs> to an event miniseries mm. in the, I want to say, 80s. Yes. yes uh, and I remember, I remember vividly, vividly, the adaptation so from the I. 80s. I didn't watch it because I was too young, yeah. but my mum watched it. I remember watching, walking in and watching a man being boiled alive at one point. And that oh. image was so traumatic, it stayed with me, but that's from Shogun. Um, What's it about? It is essentially about, it's set in the century, and <laughs> uh, it, it's basically English privateers during the time when Japan, or in fact the whole East, was cut off from the Western world, and only Portugal had a trading relationship with Japan, and they guarded it very, very closely. They didn't allow the any of their sort of uh, uh, European rivals to know about Japan and, and the wealth from, of the Orient, essentially. And uh, a, a group of... English privateers follow Magellan's passage, not a euphemism, to Japan and essentially land on Japan and they make contact with the Japanese. So it's like, it's the English and it's the culture clash between these sort of very entitled English sort of like, you know, oh, we are the British Empire and the Japanese having absolutely none of it. Mm. Uh, and obviously the, the culture at the time of feudal Japan was so alien to the West. Like it's so heavily tied to, you know, Bushido and honour and this sort of code of conduct that it's just, it's just, it's, Absolutely whack to the English. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the the Portuguese missionaries, the kind of Catholic missionaries there as well. So you've got this sort of three-way political stuff. But I was about to give you some critical praise, which I'm not going to do. Uh, let us say it yes. is quite involved and political. There is a lot going on between those. Like it's it, Yeah, it's very politically involved. I remember um, the original. I remember watching it. It was 1980. And who was in it? Who was, who was the lead? It was, it was Richard Chamberlain. Yes, that yes. was it. Who is I... such, at the time, it was su he's such a kind of TV miniseries guy. Yeah. And I remember that. And Toshiro Mifune, who's the legendary yes. actor, was in Akira Kurosawa films yes. and stuff. Um, so yeah, I remember it very vividly. Um, I mean, I haven't literally haven't watched it. I was 13 at the time. But I do, yeah, it was a huge event. So yeah, so this one is, is Cosmo Jarvis, who's in the Richard Chamberlain role. And it's got uh, Hiroyuki Sonada, who you'll remember from, let's be honest, everything. Uh, and uh, I can't say whether they're good or bad. No. But let's just say, I want more episodes. Oh. And leave it at that. How many episodes are there? <laughs> only two, I've only been given two. In oh. fact, yeah, so the first two episodes... Mm drop, I believe, in Disney Plus, and then, then the rest come afterwards. But uh, yeah, so they've, they've given me two, and I want more. Give it's, me more. It's Netflix, though, isn't it? Is it? It's not Netflix, no. It's oh, Disney Plus. Disney Plus, of course, yes, you're right. Yes, on Disney Plus. I said, I said oh. that myself about ten minutes ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God. Um, it's made by, by FX, but it's, right, it's yeah, on Disney yeah, Plus. Yeah, yeah. Some like, listener like, feedback, by mm. the way, is that um, they just want us to repeat the channel more often. So right, like, yeah. Yeah. the top and the tail. I saw this, this bit of feedback, yeah. and we always do it. 
Like literally on every review, we I start with where I, is I, I believe we the try. listener more than us. We, we, I bet every now and then well, we Because we, we always do the, when I do the, I do the, I this know airs you, on when, Boydy, and you tell yeah, me. Like, but there's been one or two, two, two examples where you have forgotten to do that and I myself chip oh. in. So it's possible that there's been times where neither of us have remembered right, to do right, it. It's right, possible. Well, okay. I've been trying to do it here with the, what we've been watching stuff as well. So I've yeah, been trying yeah, to yeah, do yeah, it, you know, so I repeat the title at the end. So Shogun, Disney Plus soon. There we go, yeah. End of Feb, it is. Not Netflix. End of Feb. End of Feb, yeah. Uh, obviously, it was remote, so I can't tell you what the pastries were like, but I'm sure they were Japanese and delightful. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Very exciting. That's what we've been watching. Yeah. Uh, what happens next? Oh, yes, it's the, it's the question, <laughs> the listener question. So we turn now to Kay, the mistress of questions, our high inquisitor. <laughs> what have you got for us, Kay? Um, I have, first of all, we need to offer... Big congratulations to Michael Gordon who asked this question because he says, I just got married. Congratulations. Well done. Congrats. Um, and he would love to know what we think are the best wedding episodes. Oof. It's a great question. That of is television. a difficult one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> <I> yes. Mean... <laughs> uh, it's not difficult. I've got the list here, the official list. I'm going to start with, I've got a couple of few. I'm going to start with... Um... If you say Selling Sunset, I'm leaving. No, God no, no. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to start with Sherlock, uh, which had a brilliant episode in season three. Actually, some people don't like this episode. I absolutely love it. Uh, it's the sign of three, and it's all built around John and Mary's wedding day, and Sherlock is the best man. And the whole episode, the whole 90-minute episode, is effectively his best man's speech. Um, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch doing a tour de force performance, but he weaves into the speech, obviously, mysteries, various mysteries. And um, I don't remember this. Oh my god, it's brilliant! Absolutely brilliant. Which season? Two, three. It was the middle episode of season three, the sign of three. It's called. Yeah, it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I loved it. Went out at the time, and it was like it was. It's very emblematic of how the show by this point had become so huge, such a phenomenon. It was referring to itself, and people got annoyed about that. But I I think this was peak. For me, this is like peak Sherlock. I thought it was fantastic this episode. So, but yeah, very very funny stuff about how Sherlock isn't happy with going to weddings, doing best man speeches, dealing with you know the fact that he's he's like you. Is getting married, yeah, to, of course, Mary played by Amanda Abington as well, mm. of course. Uh, anyway, so that's a brilliant episode. There's a brilliant Peep Show episode uh, uh, set around um, uh, the wedding with Olivia Coleman's character and David Mitchell's character, and that's really, really funny. And it's like a classic sitcom, everything that can go wrong will go wrong episode. There's also Will They, Won't They, He Wants to Pull Out the Last Minute. It's all, yeah, that's, that's steady. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, there's succession, of course, two yes. legendary weddings. Connor's wedding, is Connor, that Yeah, I'll Connor's wedding, yeah. which is spoiler alert. Are we allowed to say it? Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think, I think the which... statute of elimination, li- limitations. The statute of elimination. The statute of eliminations <laughs> has passed, yes. <laughs> That's like the traitor's vote. We have eliminated everyone yeah. who might object. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. So that was, yeah, when, um, when Brian Cox dies. Um, and but it's, it actually is Connor's wedding, and they they don't go through. One of the funny moments in it is him, he decides to go through with the wedding, even though his dad's just died. I've seen that episode. Yeah, of course, yes, a rare. And episode. you enjoyed it. I did. Yes, and there's also Shiv and Tom's wedding, which is the climax to season one, when the whole going into you know the yeah. whole nightmare scandal with the guy dying, the the, the waiter dying. Enough, that all happens at their wedding, and that's so that's another two absolute cast iron classic episodes of Succession built around weddings. And finally, I would mention him and her, which was the uh, Russell mm. Tovey uh, uh, comedy, Sarah Soleimani comedy series, and the entire fourth series of that was about the wedding. 
um, of uh, Laura and Paul, the characters of Laura and Paul. And so every episode was kind of building up to the wedding and then there's the actual wedding itself with the best, another best man speech. And again, like um, Stanley Golachevsky wrote it, kind of utilising all of the tropes of wedding day um, comedy episodes in one huge joyous and that and I happened to kind of watch an episode of this a few weeks ago they put it up I think BBC Three was airing it you know in live in its live linear channel and I just kind of ta- happened to tune in and reminded that it's absolutely brilliant mm. Stefan Golchevsky and what brilliant writers and what brilliant coming together of talents great cast so yeah those are my wedding episodes the best wedding episodes in TV history and that's all you need to know Okay is there anything you would like to add? Yes I can't believe you left this one off Happy ending, Shit's Creek. David and Patrick finally tie the knot with Moira officiating, dressed as a pope. I mean, come on. (laughs) That surely is the best episode. Um, Also, I had Connor's wedding. And this is, like, I'm taking it back. And I think even James would have watched this. Scott and Charlene's wedding. Ah, Come on. I I mean, I did watch the episode. I do remember it, but... Come on, we have to acknowledge it because 20 million people in the UK yeah, watched it. to watch it. him with his mullet and her with her fee-mullet <laughs> walk down the aisle together. Fee-mullet. Yeah. Oh my God, James, I love it. <laughs> That's that, not mine. I can't take take ownership of that, unfortunately. Oh, fine, okay. But, uh, I thought it was the new bum logie. No. All right, fee-mullet. Yeah, um, a classic, yeah, classic soap moment. Would you, okay, okay, of the friends' weddings, mm. would you opt for Monica and Chandler's wedding or the two-parter London yeah, aborted Ross and Emily? Obviously, yeah, it br- okay. brought the drama. Yeah. yeah. Also, we got Gavin and Stacey's wedding. I was going to, because I was researching it last night, I was like, oh, what are the big weddings? And that was quite a, an emotional one because Rob Brydon's character read out that letter from her dad, which was emotional. Neither of you have hit upon number one and number two on this list yet. Game of Thrones. It is Game of Thrones. Yeah. It is Game of Thrones. Fair it enough. is, of course, the Reigns of Castamere. <laughs> I was going to leave that to you. Yeah, of you. course, uh, which is the the Red Wedding. Uh, but also, second place for me would be the Lion and the Rose, which is the Purple Wedding, if you will, from season four. Uh, both of which are storming episodes. Mm. Absolutely yeah. storming. Probably not the kind of thing that Michael had in mind when he asked for TV to celebrate his nuptials. But uh, in terms of actual wedding episodes of television, I don't think you can top either of those. They're uh, they're quite extraordinary. Especially if no one had read the books. Like The Red Wedding in particular was so beyond shocking for people. Mm. Uh, Kay, of course, will know, having yeah, started yeah, Game of yeah. Thrones and is now well into her rewatch. How's that going? How is Game <laughs> of just Thrones coming along? Unfortunately, I'd zoned out. No, I hadn't. Um, do you know what? Someone asked me about that the other day and said, oh, when are we going to have another episode? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I don't think anyone was really interested in me rewatching it. Uh, not oh, rewatching it, watching it. I disagree. It. <laughs> um, I might limber up for the second episode. Okay. Wow. <laughs> of, of series one. It's quite the pace we're going at mm-hmm. here. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, I would I would like to also point out, we did on Pilot Plus, we were addressing bad storylines in great TV shows. Uh, and someone called me out on social media for not mentioning the Toby story line from the end of the West Wing, uh, where Toby becomes a wrong'un. Uh, and, and I mean, that is true. And Richard Schiff famously hates that storyline, thought it was a betrayal of the character and was really, really, really unhappy by the whole... Yeah, he, he was not He was not, not amused by any of it. I will say I don't like it at all. I don't think any right-minded person does. But I would say, like, I don't think it's all that out of character for Toby. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree. Because yeah. a lot of people say, Toby oh, you know, spiky, difficult... Well, it wasn't Singular. even that. I think because he always had a sense of moral superiority. Yeah, man, and yeah. Bartlett calls him out for this in the episode uh, when he's finally revealed. He said, you always thought you were somehow more morally pure than the rest of us. Yeah. He's not wrong. No. So, And also, his brother was an astronaut. I can totally see Toby doing it. But yeah. yes, it was. like you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but he did get sidelined as a result of it, which was yes, unfortunate. That was, so, that was but yes, that you could you could add that to the list. Uh, but yes, okay, right, that's nuptials covered. If you'd like your question read out, do send them to us at Pilot TV Pod on Twitter or Instagram, or fling them over to Kay at Kay Ribeiro on Twitter, for she is the mistress of the postbag. There's also a thread on the Pilot TV Pod subreddit. Uh, if you wish to put it in there, you can as well. Okie dokie. Let's move on to this week's interview. Boydie spoke to Andrea Riseborough and Donald Gleeson for an upcoming show. Tell us all about it, Boydie. Alice and Jack uh, coming to Channel 4. Not Alice and Jack. Not Alice yeah. and Alice Jack. No, and Alice Jack. and Jack um, coming to Channel 4. Same production company as the uh, I Am series. Yes. Uh, Me and You Productions. And uh, yeah, we'll be reviewing it um, next week. But we thought we'd run the interview this week. That is, if I get Has permission from the PR, the... who I'm about to email. <laughs> Has it got uh, a touch of the trauma about it? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. great. Oh, fabulous. Everyone's yeah. favourite. I mean, spoiler alert, slight spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. It's all trauma. Trauma, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see the number of TV shows. Well, we're reviewing one today, actually, um, that, that steers clear of anything like that, yeah. But uh, there is some trauma in it. Joy. Forearmed is forewarned. Well, traumatic show. Prepare yourselves for a traumatic interview. It's Boydie versus <laughs> no. Donald Gleeson and Andrea Riseborough. Uh, welcome, Donald Gleeson and Andrea Riseborough to the Pilot TV podcast. How's it going? Going well, thank you. Great. How are you? I'm good. Actually, I'm recovering from a cold, but you don't need to know that. That's fine. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. If I hold us, though, so we know. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I've made it all about my cold already. Um, congratulations on Alice and Jack. It's a, it's a phenomenally uh, powerful piece of work. Um, the two episodes that I've seen. Um, but it strikes me that it's not the kind of show you can pitch like in one sentence to, you know, to executives and stuff like that. Or did you, did they, what, is there a one sentence pitch for this show? Or is it, did you just have to kind of read the script and see the show to get what it's, what it's kind of all about? No, there's not, there's not, a, I, I, I'm sort of of the belief that if you can pitch a show in one sentence, it's probably not worth making. Yeah, maybe. Although shark on a, shark in a boat, you know, really what I mean? that's what it for me. Yeah, yeah, that's all you know about that movie. <laughs> it go any deeper? No, no, no. Yeah, it's definitely true. It's you know, I guess it's sort of love over twenty years. I mean, I guess well, that's the didn't best. pitch it in one sentence. No, it's been in a sort of real answers to your question, mm-hmm. um, and 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 not possible. And it was many things along the way, but actually, the kernel of what it what it was remained the same throughout. Which it, so. I think we've been working. We've been working on this five years, probably. Mm-hmm. And um, in the beginning of in its inception, something starts off as this beautiful thing that everybody loves so much and doesn't want to change, and then it goes through all of these different periods where it's suddenly about an exercise instructor and a dog, and then it's about you know a whole bunch of things, an elephant, and then it comes back to being about the thing that you started with. And I think for the really wonderful projects it will come back and be what it was supposed to be in the first place (laughs) and so it went through a lot of different incarnations and it ended up exactly as it began (laughs) and that was because somebody had written something about something they'd experienced in their life and so that was the most authentic beautiful hilarious way to tell this quite broken story yeah yeah so Victor Levin wrote in, he, you know, he he's kind of, I think, most known for comedies, for, you know, American sitcoms, he was showrunner on Mad About You, etc. So this feels like a departure for him as well. Did, was it was it his idea initially? Because I know you two were involved right from the beginning as as producers as well. Was it was it a kind of collaborative idea that came about? How did it come about? 
uh, yeah, it's incredibly personal to Vic, this story. I think the reason he went as deep as he has with the story is because it means that amounts to him. I think the fact that he's a very funny man who can write very, very funny one-liners and back and forths really shows in the series and helps elevate and keep light uh, and give moments of reprieve from the moments of our heartache in between romance and, and the love. Um, but yeah, so so he had written actually the first script and the last script, which is really unusual, like very much a limited series. This, this is like one story told fully. So I think what we both read was the first episode, the last episode, and you could see where it was going. And so Andrea was on before me, joined on the thing. When I then heard about it, Andrea was on board. That made me want to, and I'd already read the scripts weirdly, even before that, but like Andrea being there was like, okay, well now we really, really have something in the mix of the scripts and Andrea. And then this incredible, uh, the first director we got on was Yuho uh, Kwasmanen, who I'm still saying his name wrong, which is terrible because I give out. Kozmanen. Kozmanen. I was really nowhere near. I know. And I, I give out to, I, I, I give out to people for not saying my name right. Right. It's yeah. absolutely not cool. Let's cut that. Yeah. Let's just no. call him Yuho. Let's just yeah. Yuho. Yuho. Okay. And then okay. Hong, you- also came on board, but they're amazing filmmakers, like filmmakers, not people yeah. who come into direct episodes of TV, which is a great job, but they're filmmakers. So that combination felt like we really, really gave it a chance of what Andrea was saying earlier, which is making it the thing that it's supposed to be and not just the thing that'll do. And that's what really, I mean, that to Vic's, Vic's writing is so rhythmic and funny and heartfelt and accessible and to have that but then captured in a really cinematic way is why you know i i i went i really fought for you how to be part of the project and i went to finland to persuade him um to do it not that he, i mean not that he needed persuading in so many ways it was so beautiful but it but Persuading because it was quite an extraordinary thing for for an independent filmmaker of two really well received um, independent films to then decide to do something episodic was quite an unusual um, mm-hmm. departure. And the same for Hong, our other director, who's uh, had great success at Sundance. And so that was a really exciting, unusual environment for us to be working in. Uh, and we also didn't actually have um, a platform. And so Although we've been on it for five years, you know, this is something that since its very beginnings, I mean, it's it's been brewing in Vic for over 30 years, probably, yeah. and it's absolutely a story. Um, and it's so wonderful that it, we were able to capture it in such an unusual way, I think, and and, and a way that is so personal and heart, heartfelt because it is as much as it's hysterically funny in many in many parts as is life such life it's also um it's heartbreaking because love is love can be mm. it is absolutely heartbreaking yeah i'm going to get you to describe each other's characters so donna what do you think how would you describe alice i think when you meet them jack is is an open book and alice I, I think keeps more of herself from Jack uh, up front. I'm, I'm I'm really wary of describing Alice's character because is she's not mine, but but I, but I think that that's uh, true of her, and I think she 
she's amazingly generous, but not in an obvious way. So she's obviously incredibly intelligent. She's fierce in some ways. But when she finds love, which is not necessarily expected, or finds a soulmate, which is not necessarily expected, her way of being generous is to protect that person from the aspects of, of herself, which maybe she's afraid of or finds difficult or something like that. Is that fair? That's yeah. beautiful. And so I think that's, that's, she operates in a very, very generous way, but in a way that can also be brutal. And that's, I mean, that's not all of her character, but in terms of how she relates to Jack, that's what it is. And then she finds in somebody, somebody who uh, awakens part of her um, that she maybe didn't even know was there. And that fuels a lifetime of trying and loving and heartache. And I think that's the bit where herself and Jack cross over, is that one fact that happens to both of them. That's, that's Alice, I think, a bit. What, why, why did you um, want us to describe each other's characters? Um, because I quite because I always I, actors always describe their own characters, and I just thought it was an interesting, slightly different way of uh, yeah, approaching yeah. it. Mainly, um, it is interesting. yeah, yeah. It's um, the it's it's difficult for me to objectively describe Jack's character because I because I see him through the lens through Alice's lens, and I'm sure. sure Donald has the same experience. That with. was exactly, yeah, yeah. That was exactly yeah. what I was battling with there. Um, yeah. So the way that Alice sees him, I think I can best speak to that probably. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You opened with that disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disclaimer of one or two, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the way that Alice sees him is is just innately good. Um, And that doesn't take into account all of the times, now I'm looking at it objectively as, as Andrea, it doesn't take into to account all of the times that he um, is unable to see those around Alice because of his great devotion to her. So, um, but she sees him as generous, unjaded, pure, um, and a little fuddly. <laughs> you know, Fair. he sort of fuddles about a bit, which is which is very charming and um, deeply charming. She's 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 deeply in love with him. She sees him as otherworldly in the sense that he he, he represents a, the other half that makes up her whole experience of life. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's a scene in the in the in the art gallery in the first episode where we see Alice maybe at her worst, and I, I thought that was very you know I kind of thought I, that these kind of things, people do get into these situations where they end up being horrible to other people. Um, yeah, yeah, right, very human. Is that that's a, that felt like a key scene to me because you see you suddenly see a side to Alice that is maybe you kind of been brewing, but that, that kind of all comes out in that moment. Isn't it funny that we're having this, this conversation about how human a moment in television is? Yeah. Um, which begs the question, should we be having more of those moments? Mm. It would be much easier to skip over that moment. It would be. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it would be much easier not to present that. And, and, and just it. to have some extra thing be the thing that makes them kind of swerve away from each other or have an argument yeah. or like that and just something. But no, like, I love that. 
and thereby preserve the sort of moral integrity of the, of yeah. the two characters so that we can, yeah. you know, truck on with them through life. But I think we've all had the experience of being an exploding doormat, haven't we? And in that moment, that's Alice's, mm. that's Alice's big explosion in different ways. I mean, she's far more, uh, she's far, she lives very candidly in the world. She's unfiltered, a very, an unfiltered presence. And that's a suit of armor. It's really a suit of armor. And it's been yeah. a coping mechanism for a long time. But in this moment where she explodes uh, in the art gallery, you know, we've all had those really difficult days where you there's an awful lot going on. It may be historical. It could be right now in the present. And then it comes out of the bus driver or it comes out of the... You know, and, and you feel, and she feels absolutely dreadful after it. There's no kind of, she doesn't revel in that. There's a huge amount of self-hatred attached to it. The way that she deals with it is by trying to completely brush over it, of course, which is not one of her most fine hours. No, no. But it's so important because also in that moment, Jack also, Jack doesn't stand up for himself with Alice all the time because he's so devoted to her immediately and so in love with her. But actually, if you look at the series and the course of the series and even what happens in those first two episodes, Jack behaves way worse with other people, with people that really matter to him, not just people he meets for a day and who will forget about him by tomorrow. Jack really hurts people, but really hurts people with his devotion to Alice. Uh, not on purpose, but he behaves in a way that, in a way, is is more unforgivable. Uh, but because his uh, motives are clearer in those moments, we perhaps are willing to forgive a little more. Obviously, what happens with Alice in that scene is it's coming from, there's a reason for it. She's not just nasty. Even Jack, in that moment, goes, that's not cool. But it's like, he, he knows there's something in there. There's coming from a place. And eventually he will love her all the more for it. But we just all have tricky, tricky moments. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was just going to say, I think also Alice's candor is arresting um, for lots of reasons. But but partly because she's uh, a woman and she says exactly what's going on in her head. And she's quite she's quite an alpha woman. She works in a, in the finance industry and is in, it, it harnesses and wields a great deal of power in lo in lots of ways and it's it's quite a sort of strange and intimidating character quite an abrasive character to be faced with in in a as as a female protagonist and so in those moments where she says to Amy Lou Wood's character you can't be my friend I pay you which is completely <laughs> absolutely honest she's just being really really honest. But there's something in there also that I hope that the audience sees where she's asked, where she's saying, I, I, you are my friend. Of course, my friend, you know, I, I, I recognize that. And you're probably my only one. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe as Jack, Jack, I feel like when with Ashley B's character comes into the picture, I, I, um, Jack is kind of too honest in a way. Like she accuses him at one point of being too honest. You didn't have to, if you'd have just lied about, a particular thing without spoiling anything it would have been easier all around no and not not just not just easier but like i think in those moments jack has a code that he thinks the right thing to do uh, there's no perspective he applies no perspective to it and 
again, it's not because he wants to be hurtful. He's really, really trying to be a good person, as is as is Alice. It's just he tries in such a way that he like he really causes chaos to other people. And but it's all some part of him just is just cannot get away from the fact that in the world there is one person who he will always miss and always love. But that's his like that's his cross to bear. He shouldn't make it, uh, you know, Ashling's cross to bear. Anybody else's cross to bear. He does, and I think that's very true to life. I think that happens all the time, and I think there are moments where you're like, "Would you please cop yourself on and behave like a grown up?" It's almost childish at times, you know. Um, but he's just he just cannot get past the fact that he tries to kill the part of himself that loves Alice. He, he 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 tries to get rid of it because actually his life would be he thinks better without it at times. But he will just all as soon as he catches sight of her in a room, he's like, no, that's where my heart is. It's he's in a tough spot, but yeah, he doesn't always he doesn't always handle it brilliantly. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, I'll talk about the the the, the, car, the rest of the car. I mean, Ashley B, for example, again, you know, mostly known for comic comedy stuff, but she she's put through the ringer. She has to do a lot of, of difficult stuff in this show. What was it like working with her? I um, <clears throat> absolutely loved it. I think the the whole point with that relationship was to try and create something that you could really believe in, um, you know, with whatever spoiler alert or whatever like that. But that doesn't, you know, that he walks away from for something which seems to be perhaps more hurtful, you know what I mean? Like for everybody, um, like Alice included, you know what I mean? But the point was to try and create something beautiful, slightly simpler, but still very beautiful with with Ashling, and she's just she's an amazing as as um, Andrea pointed out just before we were talking to you. She's saying like she's all like all those that group amazing writers, uh, comedy, but also everything else. Like they're all really really funny people in this in in, in the cast. <laughs> they assembled around us, and Ashling is. But I mean, I, it's no surprise to me that Ashling is such a good dramatic actor. She's been doing that for a long time now, as well as all the comedy stuff. She's and I think she's wonderful in the show. I think she did a brilliant job, as did uh, Amy Lou Wood and, and Sunil Patel. They just did such amazing work of making this like a real world and a really funny world. Yeah. Uh, Sunil Patel does a brilliant job as your as your mate, who's kind of like the voice of truth, it feels like, for you, for your character. He found, yeah, and a lot of those lines, I think, would have been really, really, really hard to pass off. I think in terms of like, on the page, they read really funny. And then when you ask people to say them out loud, they were nightmarish to say out loud and, and still keep real. He found an angle on it. I don't yeah. know how he did it, but yeah. he found an angle on it that was both funny and real at the same time. Um, and yeah, I thought it was a really tricky part to pull off in a way. And he just made it really human and very, very funny. He did a great job. But like, yeah. you know, Amy and, Amy and, and Ashling. Similarly, just amazing life in those performances. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. Amy, Amy Lou were fantastic. Who, who, you know, we know from Sex Education, but she's getting big lead roles and stuff. So amazing to see her in a a smallish role, but like key figure and 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 kind of a brilliant foil for you as well. I Andrew. think, Andrew. I mean, that's to do with Andrew. That's to do with you, right? I, I did. I, I did want Amy Lou to play that part. She's she's a, one of those performers that, that that on set when she finishes speaking the crew takes a silent exhale and then laughs usually <laughs> um 
she's she's just really uh, uh, it was such a joy to work with her I've worked with, with her before that's how I know her we played sisters and um it was wonderful to work with her again and and Ashling and Sunil just are the three of them really are so brilliant and to have that kind of to have the need you know, for, for us to have the knowledge that there's this incredible safety net of ingenuity and mm. um you know emotional breadth and hysterical laughter that may pop out in any at any given time from these three supporting roles and they're and they're, they're just vital they make up the fa- fabric of the piece so it's, it's amazing I, that sounded like such a you make up the fabric of the piece it was a good sentence yeah no I like it. Sounds like I was making a quilt. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is a it's a patchwork of no, I'm gonna I'm not gonna Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen I've seen interviews where Andrew, you said you like to stay quite silent before during filming, before a scene. Is that did you did you manage to sit sit together and just be silent and have that moment, or did you go for something different? I think we both have that a bit. Can do. Depends on the energy required in the scene sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean sometimes we would just laughing hysterically about something. <laughs> well, um, but, yeah, I'm not, not a massive talk. I mean, love talking. Mm. <laughs> able, <laughs> able to do it <laughs> when <Yeah>. required. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, there's this, I, I suppose there's a, it's just a very strange job. Spent a lot of time speaking over and over again. I mean, obviously that's one thing in theatre when, harnessing verse or you know whatever that's that's a completely different thing but when you in film and in television over and over again you're required to explore the nuances of one moment over and over again so beforehand I suppose I'm maybe just saving up energy for the marathon Mm. ahead fair enough yeah yeah you said you, I know you said Nick Cage had a similar approach um, when I you worked with him. I didn't say that because I knew exactly where you. Yes, <laughs> that's where. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how does Donald compare? Obviously. <laughs> Thank you for asking that question. It's the one I've been wanting to ask the whole. Yeah, yeah. I thought. I thought so. I thought <laughs> I'd go. I thought I'd ask something deliberately provocative. Yeah. 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 So yeah. the answer is. <laughs> how do I compare to Nick Cage? Um. <laughs> Oh. You can just pass if you want to be. I, I, <laughs> oh, I think she, I think I think I'm just going to answer and give a good answer. To this. this is what I would ask just before we'd yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they'd say rolling. Yeah, I'd say yeah. compared to Nick Cage, it's like yeah. there's a piece of string, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah, similar. Yeah, <laughs> it's unquantifiable. <laughs> questions, Fair enough. Uh, questions like that are just uh, the, I know the answers to them are yeah. I love. I know. I love it. That's a map. I was being cheeky. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> no, we're not going to get asked that question again today. I, 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 I bet that's the. Oh, well, that's yeah, that's good to that know. It's a good thing. That's good to know. That's that's <laughs> something. That's something. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I do. I, finally, I do want to ask you about your your products that are coming out because Andrew, you're in um, the regime with Kate Winslet, Hugh Grant, Matthias Shonots. That looks incredible from what I've seen. How how was that for you? It was extraordinary. Um... Uh, Stephen Frears and Jessica have directed it. Uh, I mean, it, it was a really wonderful thing. It's, it's. I'm really, really crap at 
giving you a, an explanation of what it's like. I, I, had a, sure. I had a fantastic time and I uh, absolutely loved playing that character. And how do I compare to Kate Winslet? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. How do I compare exactly. to Kate Winslet? Well, I was going to say to you, no, Donald, I was going to say to you, you're in Echo Valley with Julianne Moore and Sydney Sweeney. I yeah. mean, yeah. that's a good, that's a good lineup. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Incredible actors, both. And I mean, they're very much the heart of that story. I kind of breezy. And I actually took, I took uh, almost a year off work after we finished Alice and Jack. I really felt like we put a lot Sorry. into it. Yeah. Exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah, I yeah. really felt like I really, we put like we did, yeah. everything into that, like everything in. So I took a long time off. I had the privilege of being able to, but I took a long time off after that. And so uh, working with Julianne and Sydney was my first time. And in a fantastic director called Michael Pierce, it was my first time back on set in like 10 months, 11 months. And um, yeah, loved it. But like extraordinary yeah, extraordinary actors and really, really totally different processes to each other as we all have. And I loved seeing that up close and how they made it sing. It was really, really like a privilege, you know. Yeah, I've been on a very, very lucky run with the actors I've worked with recently, Andre included, obviously. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I won't ask how she compares to Julianne Moore. That would be the... That would be the uh... They're both amazing. That's the right... Yes. That's what you should have said. They're both amazing. Yes. Perfect. You should have said. Yeah. Both amazing. No. Uh, uh, um, amazing. There we go. Finally. Can we end on that? <laughs> Absolutely. We're ending on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And congratulations on, on a fantastic show. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for being you. a nice bit too. Thank Appreciate you. it. That was Donald Leeson and Andrea Riseborough. Time now for this week's news. What have you got for me, Boydie? Hit me with some news. Well, there's only one place to start, isn't there? In the recommissioned news that uh, happened yesterday. Do tell. Hijack. Oh, Hijack yes. is back yes. for season Hijack. two. Yeah. My, as everyone knows, my number one pick for Apple Madness. new subscribers yeah, to Apple. Yeah. No, I've had a lot Listen, of support. I enjoyed it, but I don't know if it was number I've one. I've had a lot of support. From, from who? Because I explained quite rightly, <laughs> from who? From listeners. <laughs> from actual real people, not you. From yeah. Idris. From Idris as well, yeah. You, you messaged me? No, I don't. Um, but, because it is the most purely entertaining of all the Apple shows. Is That's why I picked no? it. Yes. I mean, you're going to say see you absolute bellend. But, I mean, it's know. good. Don't get me wrong. It is a good show. I really enjoyed it. But it's not even top five on Apple. What's more entertaining than Slow Hijack? Horses? Yeah, I'm with James. Foundation. No. No. C. No, no now Severance. you're... Severance. No, you're... Okay, at. no, yeah. Just, no, stop listening. Yeah. Anyway, it has been officially confirmed. Idris will be back as that character... The, the team, the creative team will be back and um, and be fascinated. Everyone's, of course, speculating what will they do because it's such a singular concept to set the thing in real time, most in the plane, hijacking of a plane and see everyone else reacting to it, dealing with it on the ground and all the polishes. So everyone knows the, the, the format of the show. So will they stick to that format? Will it be seven episodes, seven hours in a, you know, in a boat um, hijack, like Speed 2? Or will it be, you know, I don't They've know. got to do something completely different, I think. Well, I mean, I, for me, for it to be worth doing as a second series, you have to stick with the main character's character yeah. and put him in a situation similar enough, but not ridiculously similar. So it can't be another hijacking of another plane, right? Yeah. But it needs to be kind of similar. Okay, Idris... In a radio studio, which is doing a seven like live live radio I mean, he show. He has a podcast, so for seven hours, and he's just trapped in there with I don't know. Yeah, you with just James. described my third with James. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing is, obviously, it's called hijack. hijack. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. unless they introduce a new character, 
called Jack. And Idris <laughs> Elba <laughs> just goes, hi, Jack, at the beginning of every episode. Oh, I don't know how they great. keep the title. I mean, I hope they're all listening, <laughs> you know, to this idea. But, yeah. but I, you know, I, I, so I think you can either keep Idris Elba or you can keep the hijack idea because otherwise you end up in a die-harder situation where it's like, how can mm. the same shit happen yes. to the same guy twice? Yes. Unless, unless he's like, his involvement with the OCG is what gets, you know, explored mm. because obviously he's tangled with the OCG. And so maybe now... You know, that that's what it'll be. So it won't be a hijacking, but it'll be connected to the hijackers. Yeah, mm. yeah. But it needs to have, a. I mean, for me, it needs to have some of the more other similarities to the show. You know, some kind of group of people that are all under some kind of threat, I think, as a minimum. But um, who knows? Right, who knows okay, okay. But well, it must be interesting to be on, the, on that side of it, must it? You've created this incredibly fun, you know, very clever... Uh, Big hit, smash it show, and now you have to replicate it, but not go too far. So it's absurd. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. He's in a quantity. cinema of a very long film, captive audience. Yeah, yeah, it's a very very long film. I know. What's the longest film? You can see Angels. I've seen a few plays that are seven hours. Angels in America was seven hours. I think, okay, I think in so. two parts, and I think the Harry Potter play is like five hours. But that's two plays, isn't it? It's really, it's kind of two plays. Yeah. But yeah, I saw them both in one day and stuff. Um, you're uh, so hardcore when it comes to entertainment, yeah. boy. Yeah. I mean, going to, <laughs> going to theatre itself is, is quite traumatic. Mm. Did you bring your own cushion? <laughs> no, 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 no. And it's not that comfortable either. Do you know, can I, my second bit of um, news is, what show, right, what immensely popular show on this podcast and in real life only just was confirmed to be renewed on Variety? I'm looking at it right now, this morning at 10am, this is Thursday the 1st of February. Do you know what I'm talking about? Not clear. I was like, hold on, that must have been The renewed. Diplomat. No. No, it's one of your... We also didn't... Did we mention that Alice and Janney is in the new series of The No, Diplomat? we didn't. Yeah, good point. Because that's yeah. very exciting news. That is exciting mm. news. This is one of your particular favourites. Ooh. Okay. Pottery, yeah. pottery throwdown. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you. Go on. Colin from Accounts. <gasps> what about it? Have you got a date? Only Have you got a date? No, just confirmed to be returning for a second season. No, we knew that. No, this is... I'm sure we knew that. We knew that, Boyd. It, listen, okay, Boyd's bringing is, old news now. I'm sorry, but this is on Variety, the showbiz bible, and it literally says, this story, Colin from Accounts will be returning for a second season, the Paramount announced on Wednesday. No. Do you think it's because Colin Accounts took longer to get to America than it even did to get here, that the news is just catching up with them I now? I think well, so, because I think we knew that before Christmas. I I Kate's got to connect with Colin, like well, she's in. I don't know if we've actually ever been officially confirmed this is official confirmation that according to Variety it's all just happening happened now and they're filming it etc etc I know Any, it's weird but that's I think we've talked about it on the, anyway whatever well, okay fine it's good news so we should celebrate it that. is good news, good news. I'm very excited that. about that yeah. uh, the best headline of the week certainly has to go to Buffy the Vampire Slayer could get a reboot soon says <laughs> producer Dolly Parton so uh, <laughs> that is good. one that's of my favourite turns out Dolly Parton I didn't even know this her, her Sand Dollar Productions actually produced Buffy the Vampire Slayer so she was a producer on the original show and she has said they're still working on it they're thinking about bringing it back and revamping it we I don't even think she meant it as a pun when she no. said it uh, but that's how do you exciting. feel about that perfectly happy especially because I completely forgot to mention in what we've been watching I watched a couple of episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer this week from why? season one why it's hard to say uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was on Disney Plus and uh, yeah I watched a couple of, I even watched it in the HD 16.9 configuration, which makes me slightly uncomfortable because obviously it was shot in 4.3, so they've just sliced off the top and bottom of the screen, so it's weirdly it's weirdly framed in 16.9, but hey-ho. 
Kay's looking at me blankly. Course, what are these I, numbers you're saying yeah, to me? I hosted the event with Sarah Michelle last year, of course. You did for that for brilliant, that brilliant werewolf show, werewolf show that we reviewed so positively. Yeah, I don't think it's been We, reviewed, we interviewed her on this very podcast. And we do, yeah. Correct, yes, we do. Yeah. Ben She's, talked to her a lot about her favourite Buffy episodes. I want, the thing I like most about her, she completely embraces mm. the, the, the brilliance of Buffy. Like, yeah. celebrates the fact that people like people like you are randomly still watching it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sure she'd like to be involved if there was a re, a re if it is going to get a re. Maybe she'd play Buffy's mum. Right, yeah. I mean, for a start. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, right, what else have we got in the way of news? Let's have a look. Disney Plus has picked up revenge drama Wonderful World, a Korean series, um, and it will be coming to the platform on the 1st of March, which tells the story of Yun Soo Hyun, a successful female professor of psychology and writer whose life unravels after her son is murdered. Um, so yeah, and she becomes consumed by revenge. Sounds good. Sounds entirely reasonable. Uh, okay. Good, you know good, what, good. what else is that? Do you say that's on Apple, on um, Disney Plus? Yeah. They also, do you know, they confirmed the extraordinary season two launch <gasps> day, which I think is also March the first. Yes, of, and you're talking about literally about extraordinary. Extraordinary, the TV. You know, remember we, we the Disney. Plus. Oh yes, 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 yes. I love that. Yeah, that was which great. has come to ITVX. Which is Lord the Cat. Yes. yes, exactly. It's coming to ITVX, but I think Disney um, Plus have confirmed that it's, uh, that season two is on its way very shortly. Good. And I think it's in, it is in March. Yeah, I'm just trying to look at it now. <laughs> oh, yeah, here we go. Season two of award-winning Disney Plus original comedy series extraordinary set to premiere March 6th. There we go. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So I thought you particularly would be very yes. excited about it because you were a champion, mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say. It's very good. Of that show, and it was really good. So series one starts on ITVX next week, and you, so you can watch it there if you haven't some, got subscribed to Disney Plus. And then the second season's not short, shortly afterwards. And that was about basically um, everyone having superpowers, getting them after yeah. the age of 18. And there was this one, the main character hadn't received hers yet. She's yes. 25, very desperate to get hers. And it was about her journey. She is extraordinary because she has no extraordinary yes. powers. It's very, very it was good. really good. Uh, Tom Hopper, who you may remember from the Umbrella Academy, has joined the cast of the Terminal List, Dark Wolf, uh, which is my way, really, of just saying, in case you didn't know, the Terminal List, Dark Wolf, is a thing that's happening. This is the follow-on from, remember the Chris Pratt, Taylor Kitsch, kind of military, prime, really po-faced, utterly humorless, uh, <laughs> where he's a soldier who comes back and realises he has a brain tumour and then his whole family gets murdered and he goes on a rip-roaring rampage of revenge to try and find out what happens all the while dying, hence Terminal List. What, what was it on? It was on Prime. It was Chris Pratt. Oh, God, yeah. yeah it was, I was it complete, was, I'm digging deep it was into so my... Spe- it was very yeah. you. It, it was like you were the only person who watched all of, watched all of the, the whole thing. That's, but, yes, that's yeah, what I remember, It was yeah. so incredibly po-faced and humorless. Yeah, I yeah. really, really, I really dug yeah, that. You loved it, yeah. I love the yeah. fact that it took itself so seriously. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yes, I remember yeah. that now. <laughs> so there you go. The terminal list, colon, dark wolf. That is surprising. Yeah. I have to say. It is a thing. To talking, I mentioned um, me and you productions uh, you did. just now who produced that uh, Alice and Jack that I was talking about and they've just signed a deal with Fremantle um, which was uh, big news in the TV TV world. The three-year deal, I mean, Fremantle is the primary home for me and use television slate. Um, the production company founded by Richard G and friend of the pod, former BAFTA chair, Christian Endu, Majum Dar, will work closely with Fremantle's global drama division. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, quite exciting. That was very exciting for them. And as I say, Alison Jack is, is, is their work. And they did... Um, 
Close to You, which is a feature starring Elliot Page, which premiered at the Toronto Film Festival last, last year and got a really good um, reception. So that's coming soon as well. So they do films and TV, and they and they do they pretty much only do good stuff basically. So yeah, there you go. Here's a thing that's actually thematically relevant. You know, we mentioned Sarah Michelle Gellar, yeah, and the TV show Wolfpack, yeah. That got cancelled this week. <laughs> oh, I thought. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned earlier. I said I don't think it's been renewed. Yet. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it, it got officially. Yeah, it got officially cancelled this week. Yeah. Uh, and did you also mention on a previous episode that Mark Mylod is now working on The Last of Us? No, I didn't mention that. But well, that's brilliant. Yeah. Friend, another friend of the friend pod. of the pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. He's a very. He knows what he's doing. That guy. Any more news, Kay, that you want to... Uh... No, I think I've delivered the ultimate news. You sure? Yeah. I sure. Like, this was a story... I'll, I'll finish... Well, if you, unless you've got any more, James. No, I've got nothing. <laughs> Fool me once. You know, the... Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Joanna Lumley was interviewed um, in America about it, and she said her heart was beating so fast when she read the script for Bonkers Final Episode. So this is the headline. For me, one star, Joanna Lumley's heart was beating so fast when she read the script for Bonkers Final Episode. Literally yeah. the word bonkers in the uh, variety headline. Um, and she says... Um, the cast were all gathered and we were like, oh my God, what will people think of this? So like, I like the fact they're aware of the madness <laughs> of of um, Harlan Coburn's brilliant plotting. Um, but she certainly was. And um, yeah, but she really loved it. She had was a it, great time. Was it a divisive ending? Uh, I mean, I think it was a divisive show to some extent. I've seen a lot of people, you know, slagging it off. Mm. But were, the, the, yeah. were there any columns using the headline, fool me once, shame on you? Not no. by no Okay, of. fair enough. But now that you've said it, you know, maybe there will be. Yeah. Uh, there you go that's my climax of news okay we are done with Boyd's climax and on to reviews <laughs> and we begin this week with Curb Your Enthusiasm which takes a bold new direction for its 12th and final season which sees Larry David insert himself into common situations while somehow making them excruciatingly awkward groundbreaking stuff <laughs> now, you? Uh, now look as, as Larry's you close that tone. <laughs> as Larry's close personal friend Boydie you yes. are irredeemably Compromise. So, Kay, yeah. tell us, did you want your dollar back or was it pretty, pretty, pretty good? <laughs> or put another way, would you describe this season as a beloved aunt or a beloved cunt? <laughs> oh my God. He's gone there. Yeah, he went there. This is very good. I mean, Boyd obviously is better placed to discuss this, but I think the fact that this has been going on for 25 years and it's on its 12th series, you know, you would be forgiven for thinking or being scared that the quality would drop. But it absolutely hasn't. And it's as good as, you know, all the, you know, the big, the first series and um, midway through as well. It's just, it's consistently funny and, you know, Larry if he thought it was possible, has got crankier. And he's just like, I don't know, he's just, it's everything that you want it to be. Um, this, I don't want to give too much away in this first episode, but basically he's dealing with issues like Siri. I mean, he has uh, an argument with Siri that is hilarious in his car that, um, yeah, I honestly, I was just in stitches. Um, and this is all about him going away to appear at a party that he's been paid to go to, right? And Maria Sophia, the um, star of Young Larry, is going as well. And he's about, you know, he's got these certain feelings about her. He goes to this event and it's about his reluctance to be there, but obviously he's getting paid. And the fact that, you know, he just hates everyone, of course. But also he gets fixated on the fact that he is unable to call. Um, I think it's the partner of the the guy whose birthday it is that's paid him to be there. He can't call her by her, her nickname. So everyone refers to her as Brookie so he calls her Brookie and she takes you know she has an objection to that and tells him oh no it's Brooke and he gets fixated on it and he can't stand it and uh, do you know what I have to say 
I respect that level of belligerence because he will not let it go. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a joy. And all I'll say is, beware of who you lend your glasses to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been there, I have to say, yeah. Yeah, he lends his glasses to Auntie, Auntie Ray, who appeared a few seasons ago um, with the um, the family that he, basically he took in. Cheryl forced him to take in this family who lived through a hurricane. And that's where we first met um, Leon and his family. And Auntie Ray comes back in the system. And she's so funny. Uh, and tries on Larry's glasses. And he refers to her, <laughs> you have a big head, dare I say, freakish. <laughs> and um, that's one of many. What I... I mean, obviously, it's not, it's not news to anyone who's ever listened to the pod that I'm a huge fan of the show, of Larry, of um, Seinfeld, of Kirby Enthusiasm. He's basically created two of the funniest, greatest TV comedies of all time, Seinfeld and Curb. Curb reaching its 12th episode. You know, he's done... Series. Across 20, 12th series, sorry. Across 25 years. It was 25 years ago that he first... The, the, the pilot episode um, first aired. And to and what I love about it is, I was thinking I only just need to sum up what I love about it, is, funnily enough, you, we touched on it earlier, most comedies these days, which are, oh, many of which are absolutely brilliant, like Big Boys, for example, mm -hmm. there is, you know, drama undercut, underlining things that happen in Big Boys, whether it's, you know, it, trauma is, is used a lot in comedy these days. So comedies that are well shot, well acted, well put together, that are, have a dramatic underpinning, and I love all of those if they're good, and many of them are. But the thing about Curb is, it just wants to be funny. Mm. It's just finding new ways. Every single scene is just about finding a way to make people laugh and to and to be funny and to to use Larry's observations. And so, in this first episode, you've got you've got the whole glasses bruning the glasses thing, which is hilarious. Then he he's lent Auntie Ray lends him her glasses <laughs> and these brilliant horn rimmed almost Day Medina style glasses that he wears and that's just funny look watching mm. him watching Larry wearing those glasses is fucking hilarious and I when I interviewed him which I'm I'm going to use that phrase the new drinking game is when I interviewed Larry David because really, I'm going to mention it every single week for <laughs> well, the rest with of my any life. luck we're going to play some of that interview on an upcoming episode have you, so. your, um, have you put the screenshot of the photo of you together up anywhere not yet no I will do I will do yeah oh, um, thanks on. for reminding me uh, yeah that that he um, the, that that um, he, he said, I said, you know, the, the choice of glasses was so funny just looking at you. And he was like, Yeah, we had about 40 pairs they brought in, and we went through, which was going to be the funniest. Oh, wow. But it's a similar way. A couple of seasons ago, he donned a, uh, he donned disguise like beard, fake beard, and moustache when he was the subject of a fatwa. And just him walking around in that bit of moustache was hilarious. It, it, him, there's a scene, I watched it for the third time this episode oh, in preparation. God. Oh my God, yeah. you're doing a James. Oh, yeah. And I thought, my love is he puts the glasses on, then he goes out into the world. You remember, he's in the hotel, he's staying in a hotel in Atlanta for reasons and all the different people gets into the lift and the way everyone looks at him is hilarious so it's him wearing those glasses is funny to us the audience then it's compounded brilliantly by him getting all of these brilliant extras to just look at him in the most funny bizarre brilliant way that what the fuck are you wearing those glasses for you lunatic kind of way so you've got that and you've got loads of just little brilliantly funny moments the dog the emotional support dog is fantastically the fat, uh, fat is overweight <laughs> overweight <laughs> Emotional support dog is brilliant. Um, my, another of my favourite moments is when in the hotel, when he he asks the staffer where the breakfast 
is, where the restaurant is, and the and the guy goes, "I'll escort you there." And there's just this just incredibly awkward, like minute long sequence where they're just walking in silence to the bedroom. And in the end, Larry gives up. He's going, "Oh no, can't be bothered. I'm going elsewhere." And it's just a fantastic. I've been there. I've been like, "Where is your? Where is the? Where is the restaurant in this fucking huge hotel?" And people are like, "I'll take, I'll take you there." And you have to endure that, you know, two minute excruciating um, sequence. So just every single scene for me, is working at being funny and succeeding, by and large, most of the time. You know, there might be moments where you're like, oh, come on, that's corny. That doesn't work. I'm sure James there's will not, fill us There's in. not a lot of them. Not a lot, though. But some He's, episodes... It's really tight, I some think. Some episodes, you know, I've watched nine out of the ten um, of this season, and there's one or two episodes that have moments you think, oh, you know, you've done that before, or, you know. But, I mean, that's... But it's still, like, pure five stars. But that's you as a hardcore because, yeah, fan. Hardcore, you've seen every single 100%, second. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so, just every... Just, just absolutely... And I can watch those episodes again and again and again. I'm not sure I'll end up watching those episodes, you know, three or four times again. But you're right, the Brook Brookie conversation yeah. is amazing. Just, yeah. Yeah, so the whole thing. But also the Siri thing. The Siri thing, which actually happened, yes. Whenever he t- the Siri scene where he swears at Siri, calls her a fucking... Just fuck off, you fucking cunt, basically. Um, and that did happen. Yeah, he told me that. He just did it. We got into his car, asked Siri where to go get directions, and Siri wasn't, couldn't hear, understand what you were saying, and he went, got really angry at it. And he said, went to the producers and said, we've got to do this, we've got to put this scene in where I shout Siri. Because that, unlike most things in Curb, almost every single joke and um, kind of storyline kind of ha- has ramifications and kind of spins out for the rest of an episode or even a series. But that moment with Siri is just there. It's a really, really funny moment it doesn't go anywhere but it's like so funny and brilliant to watch Larry swearing at Siri in the most (laughs) vociferous terms just works brilliantly so I mean I just couldn't be happier that this show has existed and will keep me going it's I mean so much it's literally like whatever your equivalent was what's your show you put on when you want to you know, this is my yeah. this is that show for me you know it's like I, I, I literally I probably watch it like you know I've probably watched it more often than even you've watched now James that seems doubtful I think so <laughs> James Hi. Now, bearing in mind how excited Boyd is about this. Well, I've got questions for Boydie, actually. Oh, okay. Because uh, oh, Boydie, Boydie yeah. has been raving about this particular one and yeah. gave it a storming review in Empire yes. Magazine, despite being horribly compromised. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and, but, but, but it has not had universally good reviews. It's polarised people. Really? The yeah. First, the oh, well, I haven't episode. read. Okay, I haven't read all the reviews. Venerable but. film critic Alan Seppenwall uh, of Rolling Stone said that uh, the batting average is way down this season. Oh, no. Of the first nine episodes, the opener is by far the best, he says. Oh, well, the opener is brilliant, isn't it? Well, the others range from uneven to largely ineffective. I don't agree with that. I mean, I know, but there were other... I didn't actually... Funny enough, I didn't actually read that review. But I know, like, Collider, I loved it. Kobe, Kobe Enthusiasm is pretty pretty great, says Collider. And I think that... So there are a couple of episodes that are maybe, you know, slightly flawed. But by and I think the, hit, the hits, like, keep on coming. I mean, I, I just don't agree with that, yeah. But, and you're talking to someone who has watched them two or well, three times that's each. fair. So... I've only seen the first episode, so I can only judge it on what, uh, yeah. what this critic says yeah. is the best of the season. It is a very tight episode, this first yeah. one is. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it was actually really well constructed. Also, I didn't cringe overtly. Oh, interesting. So I wonder whether I've either built up tolerance or this episode wasn't especially I don't think it was super cringe. cringy. No. I, felt, I thought it was funny. Sometimes the brookie brookie thing was a bit, <laughs> the brookie yeah. thing. But I don't think it was uber cringe. Yeah, there's a bit, the whole bit about butt dialing, where obviously there's a sli- that's slightly awkward at times. But uh, yeah, I... I yeah. Yeah, it's you know what it is. It's, it's it, his version of cringe. I think it's different somehow, and it goes back to what I'm saying about it's more. It's it's less important for him to establish a situation where you're cringing. I think than to establish a situation where you're laughing. You're just yeah. laughing at him. So it's all about the tone. 
I made, and I, again, I talked about to him about this in the interview. There's something, it's got a lightness of tone to it. There's an episode, so I, in fact, I'll tell you, I will say this, that Alan Seppenwell, who you referred to, I'm just looking at his review, talks about the, there's an episode that has a trans character late on, I think it might even be the ninth episode. No, I thought they dealt with that brilliantly, and it was all due to the lightness of touch, and he's critical of that. Um, I, so I think he's wrong about that, because I think Larry can get away with dealing with almost anything in any, you know, in terms of taboos, and but he doesn't do it in such a cringy way. He does mm. it in a very light way, which I think makes, like, fake Palestinian Chicken, famously, he has this episode, Palestinian Chicken, which he talked about as being one of his favourites of all time in my interview. And I said, that has ramifications now. And he went, yeah, it does. Anyway, that dramatizes the, you know, Israeli versus Palestine conflict in the fact that the best chicken is available in LA is in a Palestinian chicken restaurant. And, and, and Larry, as a Jewish man, is com- was compromised by this whole thing. And so it's dramatizing the conflict between Jews and Palest- Palestinians. In But it's in this such a light, funny, kind of frothy way that it's not, it's not cringeworthy. It's not, controversial, it's not embarrassing, it's not racist or either, you know, all those things. You, he just has the, an unnerving way of dealing with stuff that makes it just funny. And he, and you, you, and you afterwards you're like, oh my God, I was just laughing at that thing. I probably, maybe I shouldn't have been, maybe he shouldn't have done, gone there. But it's too late because you just laughed at it because it's mm. really funny. Therein lies the end of my speech about... <laughs> 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 Obviously, I could go on about this for many, many days on end. Well, I found it funny. It amused well, me. I love the fact that you found it funny. It amused me quite a lot. Good. Uh, I That's thought heartwarming. I, but again, it's just it's just the the, the fact that <laughs> maybe it's because I find the character quite relatable at times. Yes. <laughs> but there exactly. are bits where the bits where he's being obviously wildly over the top, but his state of mind, his frustrations mm. are inherently relatable to everyone. Yeah. It's just being Larry, he can't get past them. Yeah. And he well, gets also, being Larry, them. he talks about them. And he, yeah, and he, yeah. and he, as he, as he always it. says, yeah. Larry, the character, says the stuff that he's just thinking yes. and doesn't actually come out and say. And I think that's the case in a lot of these situations. It's like what you're thinking. Like, I go to parts and the thing with the, the you know, the woman and the nickname and all that, oh, yeah. those kind of things, you get into those conversations all the time. People, yeah, yeah, people's yeah. behaviour is mad. And a lot of his stuff is, I am observing mad behaviour and I'm not, not going to soft varnish it or whatever. Do you know what? You just reminded me, that literally happened to me at a party once I where I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say any names, but I... I referred to someone by <laughs> oh, the God, name God. that they had been called. I'd heard them called it by someone else, and they corrected no. me to the full version of their name because yeah. yeah. clearly I didn't know them well enough to use that. But I was like, "But that person over there literally just called you that. What's going on?" You are Larry. I was yeah. Larry in that yeah. moment, and I was genuinely affronted because, like, you you think like that the person could have been like, mm, "Okay, fine," but but they yeah, actually took the time to correct me. See, yeah, yeah. He just he, he yeah he observes all these things, and the way the Final observation. I was reminded, Auntie. So he says, Auntie Ray has this freakishly big head to her face, right? But and within like minutes later, she doesn't give a shit. It's like yeah, everyone, yeah. everyone kind of it, all his stuff bounces yeah. off people. It's Apart not from cruel. It, it's not cruel. It's just it's exactly. Just it's coming from a a place of lightness. <laughs> and then when he returns his glasses, her glasses, she, he says he wrapped around. I'm just remembering all these, the bit with the mate. In the hotel, I totally identify with it. So for me, when you arrive in a hotel, and I love staying in hotels, is you just get your stuff out and you just leave it wherever because you don't have to clear up for yourself because you're staying and the maid getting really annoyed with him that's such a brilliant thing and he's like what what's wrong his performance by the way I think has got better and better and better it's just as an actor like, I know he's playing himself I know this character's been going for 50, 25 years but he does give himself 
more challenges. Like, I don't think I've ever seen him angrier than the Siri <laughs> argument. <laughs> yeah. He's actually the angriest you've ever seen him yeah. at Siri. And in the hotel, with the with the not just leaving everything lying around thing, he's giddily happy, almost, mm. as you've ever seen him. So, so I think he puts himself through brilliant acting challenges. I'll stop now. <laughs> Boyd's enthusiasm, as you have heard, cannot be curbed. Uh, but Kirby enthusiasm does come to Sky Comedy. Yes, and now. And now. To, and it comes now Monday. because it's today. Yeah. An episode a week. I think, I'm not very, unless I'm very much mistaken, I think Sky the other day did a trailer. I was happened to be watching Sky TV. And I'm sure they did where they implied that all the episodes were going to be ready on. And that was not, absolutely not the case. It's one a week from, from today. Yeah. So okay. just, just to say, in case anyone saw that same trailer. Curve your enthusiasm then. And next up, we have Ted, in which Marmite funny man Seth MacFarlane <laughs> takes his uh, pair of Mark Wahlberg starring films about a foul-mouthed talking bear to the small screen. Uh, in this case, a kind of prequel tale of what happened when Wahlberg's character was still a kid. Highbrow hijinks abound. Uh, Boydie, though, was this bear ass? No. Did the... Potty mouthed Bostonian bear shit the bed or pack the can. <laughs> wow, very good. I mean, so there was a big build up there, listeners, that you haven't heard because we had to, uh, But it was worth it in the end. It pack was the worth can. it. Pack the can is all I'd say. <laughs> this is interesting, isn't it? So it's. Um, is it? <laughs> By the way, the subtlety of your uh, opinions that were coming out there in that intro were fantastic, fantastic to behold. Um, this is uh, my, rev- my one line review of this is: if you like Seth MacFarlane's humour, you will like this. Yeah. If you don't, yeah. you won't. I mean, I hate it. I know you hate it. I yeah, hate him I'm so much. I'm fully aware. So I knew when. But you know, this is a quite. I mean, all I'd say is I'm actually, funnily enough, having said that, I think he's a very divisive character, and you probably generally either love or hate him. I actually kind of don't mind him. Uh, not that, so I am the one in the middle. I'm the same. Yeah. Notorious oh, okay. fence sitters. The uh, yeah. So I don't mind his stuff generally. And I think at its height, I think he can be really, really funny and clever and smart. And, um, you know, you, I don't think you get through that many seasons of a show like Family Guy, for example, without having some kind of level of comedic skill and talent, etc. So I recognise that. And I also think Ted, the original movie, the sequel was terrible, right? Abs- I mean absolutely awful the original was quite good I thought generally you didn't you did, did you hate the original film I didn't particularly like either of them but, but did I did quite enjoy the fact you know the bit where Mark Wahlberg's character has to he's trying to guess someone's name and yeah. he lists yes. off a bunch really of, funny Yeah. well we had uh, Mark Wahlberg on the Epic podcast once I asked him if he could still do it and he could still oh, that's do brilliant. it see, all of the girls right. names he can now, still that them. sequence mm. where he goes through and a funny, it gets funnier and funnier because there's so many names that he's trying out that he's yeah. reading out similar to the kind of thing where Alan Partridge does Dan Dan and the Funny, it, it gets funnier and funnier because the longer it goes yeah. on, the repetition. He, he, every now and then, there's a scene like that in this show as well. In fact, that is funny because of how far he's taking. There's a scene with a teacher, uh, a professor, in fact, yes. talking about their private life in this episode. That I thought was the funniest p- bit of the episode, and it was funny because he let it go on and on and on and on, and uh, to the point where it was in back, excruciate. Uh, kind of again, the, this is the comedy of excruciation, and, and isn't it really ish? ish. But he is okay. a talking bear, so it's like right, you know. But that that scene, for example, is oh god, the longer it's going on, the more excruciating it should be. And there's an, there's a reference earlier on early on to midgets mm. and and small short people, which I mean, literally, Ricky Gervais was doing that when life's too short. That's how 
series, um, you know, years ago. So that was like that was an example of an obvious an obvious joke that's been done so many times before that you know really should have moved on by now, Seth. For me, but the professor talking about his private life being forced to buy the bear was was funny. I thought that was funny. So I don't, I think there are funny moments, and I think uh, as a concept, I think if you're going to make a Seth MacFarlane live action comedy series, albeit with the CGI talking teddy bear, then <laughs> It kind of works the concept, I think. I think Making it's a traditional, amusing enough. I yeah, think... so it's because it's the format is very much traditional sitcom, literally mm. to the point where you know domestic families that go yeah. families sitting around the table around the dinner. with yeah. Ted's effing and jeffing along with it. <laughs> and I quite I think as a, as an idea, it completely works. So you imagine the pitch. So I think you know when Seth MacFarlane pitched this, it's a Peacock show in America run, running on Sky here. You know, and he went, "How about you know a kind of almost a a, a piss take of of." Of domestic family sitcoms, but with the Ted, with with the bear, with me as, and they went, oh yeah, that would work, and it kind of does work on that level of like, it's definitely like as as spin-offs, as small screen spin-offs of films work, it makes sense, and I think it's it's if you and as I say, if you like the film, you will like it. If you like Seth, you will like it. I didn't mind it. I thought it was perfectly decent. Mm, I agree. Oh. I, thought was, I thought it was amusing enough. I think putting him in those different, like as you say, domestic scenarios and taking him to school where he's trying to help. Um, so it's like, yeah, John, he's 16 years old. Yeah. And so the family say to him, look, you can't just, to Ted, you can't lounge about at home, you've got to go to school with him. And then it's helping him navigate uh, teenage life and dealing with the school bully. I think it's, it's amusing enough, but I just, yeah, I wonder how long, you know, if it, it was going to run out of steam. Because how many episodes are there? Uh, seven, not many. Oh, However okay. many... Is too many. <laughs> no, I, I, I think there were some laughs to be had. There are, well, the thing it's is, but, un-PC, but it never, it's like, rude, it's, you know. So, so on your scale of one to ten, the humour never really crests a four, does it? Like, it's, it's gently, I think you're mildly, <laughs> slightly amusing. I would say five. Consistently, th- well, that's high praise. Five uh, or six. But no. you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't really do a great deal. Like, it's, it, as, as Boyd said, like, it works on paper and it's okay, but it's not, massively funny and I feel there's scope for humour because I think you're absolutely right in the first Ted film there are some proper laughs in there and it is quite funny but it's it's but you know, it's that central gag. Like, he's a foul-mouthed talking teddy bear from Boston. Like, that's, you know, and the accent is inherently funny. So that's, there's definitely mileage there but how much you can draw that gag out is what I'm less sure about at yeah. this point point. Yeah. and certainly this series this first episode I've only seen one didn't do enough to justify its existence to me also and, and this may be colouring things I hate Seth MacFarlane so you yeah know, I, I, will, I, I don't know if you, I, I, I think there's occasional six out of ten bit in it to, to, to refer to your um, measure your measure out of ten I, I'm standing what, firm what at four give? Six, yeah. for, you know, occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that scene I was talking about with the professor talking about his private, I thought was funny. I think if you like the films, you're yeah. going to enjoy it. I think this. a little bit of a weakness, if I'm honest, is I think the John character is a bit of a blank. Like, he's kind of like the only thing that defines him. Yeah. But it's he's, all about Ted, though, isn't it? But he's, he's just not, a foil. But, but yeah, Wahlberg was, was really funny, yeah. Really funny, yes. really good. Yes. And their dynamic yes. was what made those, that... Exactly. I say those films, that film, we don't talk about the second one, yeah. made that film work. Whereas in this, the kid is... Yeah, he is bland. Yeah, I hate to agree is. with James, but it's true. <laughs> and I, I think that's a big... Imagine Mark Wahlberg in this spin-off TV thing, you'd be, oh, oh yeah. it would have elevated Definitely. it massively. I think this perfect... Max Burkholder is the, is plays John. He's not particularly charismatic or funny inherently yeah, yeah so. he felt miscast to me but yeah I, agree. I would agree with that but you know I had fun mild fun Ted then which lands on Skymax when yes. and now Friday 
Friday, nine o'clock. On Friday. Okay, next we have Gwed, which is almost certainly not pronounced that way. (laughs) You will all have assumed that this would see me attempt to adopt a dreadful Scouse accent in order to introduce it, but I'm not going to. Do you know why? why? Because the only thing I can reliably say in an even close to Scouse accent is Fochenel, and that that does not an introduction make. You've made Boyd Weeze. I have. have. Uh, So I'm just going to say, this is a comedy. It's set in Liverpool. There is abundant dick pic commentary there is a knicker obsession and some confusion as to where to find the lavatory uh Kay, uh was this liverpudlian adventure sound was it boss uh were you made up watching it uh and also gwed apparently is is, is liverpudlian saying for go ahead i had to yeah. look that, i yes. had to look that up yes no yeah. but when you were watching it did it nope i had to look it up i only realized when i was watching it cuz at first i was, <laughs> this is embarrassing to me i was going i wasn't sure if it's gwed or I was going to Boyd. G-Wed is. Yeah. G- oh, G-Wed, yeah. Kay. G-Wed. G-Wed. Yeah. G-Wed. Anyway, and then I G-Wed, watched. tell us about it. I know, right? I gave you that free gift. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah and then I watched it and I was like, oh, the same go ahead. Um, anyway, this is written by Danny Kenny and it's a comedy about working class kids at secondary school. And I have to say, when I first, I wasn't sure about it when it first began. I don't think it gets off to the strongest start. However, stick with it because it then does kick into gear and I think that's largely down to the main character of Reese, played by Dylan Thomas-Smith, who is this young teenage boy that goes to this comp in Liverpool and he's a bit of a chancer, cock of the walk, sometimes just a cock, um, <laughs> but ultimately a decent kid deep down. And this is this first episode just sort of establishes the school, the friends, the f- frenemies, and it's he's facing expulsion, but he comes up with an ingenious way of avoiding it. Um, and... I, I, do you know what? Five, min- five minutes after it kicked in, I actually really did get into this because I thought actually it's really good to see a different kind of... We, we see a lot of London-based comedy, right? Middle-class comedies. And I just think it's good to see like um, a diverse comedy that's showing, you know, different social strata, economic backgrounds. And yeah. so I thought this was great. And there's, particularly there's a scene that made me laugh with uh, Reese and new... Uh, posh boy Christopher and Christopher's grandmother that is just very unexpected and funny and just keeps on delivering <laughs> so I yeah I just thought it was really funny the kids are funny aggy rough real it just feels authentic and um, feels like an authentic portrayal of a Liverpudlian working class kids just trying to survive at this school and actually there's this character I can't remember her name at the end who gives this brilliant sort of like feminist uh, manifesto at the end just like addressing all the boys and putting them in their place and I thought well, she's she was great brilliant. all the way through because yeah. we get mm. regular sort of like catch ups from her at the school gates while going mm. through lists of dick pics and whatnot and it's just genuinely very yeah. funny and just to say Danny Kenny because I was reading about him and he said he tried like different things that didn't work out and he never thought he'd be able to succeed in writing because he didn't live in down in London um, but eventually, you know, this got picked up and this was his first big commission. So I just think it's great. We need just more of this. Yeah, it is definitely, it's definitely like part of a drive, I think, by ITV in particular to have more working class, non-Southern people, creatives and stories. Um, what's interesting is you, in your intro, you made reference to the toilet thing. So I'm wondering yes. whether it's a spoiler or not, if I can refer to that. What do you think? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe the yeah. scene. That said, it's not pivotal to the plot. They, I would say that one scene, which we yeah. will not go into, yeah. is the one scene I could really have done without Right. This. Well, what I, what I was going to say was, the, the toilet-based humour came. Yeah. And, and you talk about, the, it's another one of the grandma, there were a number of grandma scenes, right? The two of them, him and the posh new oh, boy. Yes. Yeah, that climax oh, of that joke, God, right? It's a yes. running joke that gets more and more out of hand and I won't spoil the climax of it. Fine, got That's, it. What, what, so what I'm going to say, the reason why I'm talking about whether or not it's a spoiler to talk about it is because 
that is a very, very difficult trick to pull off to make us accept that he would do that, right? The thing that I'm referring to without spoiling it. I just think like the right, so kudos, because I think just well, I about got away it, right? with it. I think they just, it's quite an extreme thing to imagine someone doing, right? Is all I'm saying. I'm trying to work around it. Um, so that was like, oh, okay, you've really gone there. This is this is quite bold stuff. But then what's funny, what's interesting about it is, because the, the show that it most resembles to me is The Inbetweeners. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people probably say this is, you know, the new Inbetweeners. It's like four mates, but will be fifth guy, the newbie, the newbie middle class guy. Um, it's kind of like a work, more working class version of the in betweeners and the in betweeners. I know the in betweeners was in a sixth form college, wasn't it? When at least when it started, when they were in their forties, still making it. Then they went on holiday in the films. But these are slightly younger; they're high school kids, so they're younger. But there is that blunt brutal, sex-based, body-based humour that is a similarity where, you know, the, the the amazing thing about The Inbetweeners was it felt like it was a teen comedy aimed at teenagers, but that would absolutely have swearing and um, very adult situations and nudity and all of that. And and, and the, the, and kids being obsessed with sex, particularly the, the boys in that case. And this feels like a, heavily influenced by that, but it has a different tone as well. And I think the, the the girls who gather at the school gate are give it that different tone to some extent. They're really funny because they're some of the most kind of like some of the best observations of what happens now. People sending dick pics, etc. And I think in the header was solicited dick pics. Yes, it was, yeah. that was clever. Quite fun. That was yeah. funny. So. What I'm saying is, I think it is um, a really good thing, as you alluded to, Kay, that this guy's got to make his show. I think it's a really good thing that is about working class kids in Liverpool. And I think it's almost really good. I think there was this cup, I would say that it's quite hectically paced, so that you almost like things happen and go by so quickly that you almost say, oh, you know, that's actually a bit bit mad for that you think that somehow you'd think that would happen or whatever but yeah it was very entertaining and enjoyable is the bottom line that's the main thing and oh and I could so as opposed to the guy in Ted the, we were saying the main guy in Ted who I didn't think was charismatic or particularly this guy Dylan, um, Thomas, Dylan Smith. Thomas Smith who plays Reese, the cheeky scamp at the central yeah. he's so cheeky <laughs> and that he, and well, he, he pulls it off he pulls think? it off completely yeah. he is brilliant his cost I mean he looks about eight and, you he know, does he, look so he's young. He looks so young. He? And his mates are like, you know, 14, mm. 15, however much, 16, like, fuck knows. But he looks really young. But again, he's not. He's just baby-faced. And everything, he does it absolutely brilliantly. He is really, really good. He's totally believable. And Poshman and Class Boy is really good as well, putting off that. Because he's got, he has got trauma in his life, going back to that, 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 that theme earlier. But somehow that's dealt with very lightly in this. It almost is, like yeah. they, don't, they don't wallow in it. They don't, you know. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I actually enjoyed it as well, despite... Oh, uh, I was dreading oh, wow. my proclivity. I, really I was dreading the James. <laughs> I, I yeah. thought you'd ha- he definitely yeah, hates same. the working class. No, I'm yeah. just... <laughs> I mean, he does. I, I, I thought it was really fun. I, the toilet-based humour I could have done without. I didn't enjoy that particular part of it, but I thought there were enough other gags in there that definitely landed uh, that I, I really enjoyed it. Genuinely, and this is not even me kidding, for the first three, maybe five minutes of this... It could have been in Klingon. I couldn't understand a word <laughs> anyone was saying. I was just like, I don't, this needs subtitles. What is happening? Oh, I just think what's <laughs> subtitles, <laughs> darling. No, no. But I got into it. Like I, I got. I, like, it took a while, but my ears adjusted. And then I said, oh, I'm rolling with it now. But I, I also it. think that first scene wasn't as strong as that. You know, like. Yeah. I think it didn't it, it didn't do it justice. It picks up I, as it goes. Yeah. yeah. And like that, like the way he's being woken up by his mum and that whole dynamic. I, his mum, I can't remember the, the actor who plays his mum, but she's really good. Oh, she's uh, really good. Yeah. yeah. Uh but uh but yeah, like it's it's genuinely very funny. It's it's very well balanced, it's extremely well cast. Uh yeah, it's uh, it's a giggle. So I despite what you may have preconceptions about me, I, I thought it was really good. Mm. I in fact I found it a lot better than bloody Ted. 
Oh, it is better than Ted, for sure. Liam Best plays his mother. Yes. Yeah, he's very, very good. good, yeah. Very and good. it is absolutely better than Ted, yeah, for yeah. sure. Without doubt. Gawed, then, which appears on ITVX. Tuesday, uh, from tomorrow, yeah, on, on, Tuesday. Uh, on the ITVX. I think all six episodes land, as is there won't. Excellent. Finally this week, oh, we, yeah. have, we have Halo, the return of Xbox's iconic hero, Master Chief, a.k.a. John 117, the Spartan super soldier, played by Pablo Schreiber. Uh, you will remember from last season that Natasha McElhone's character, Dr. Halsey, had flown the coop thanks to a handy bit of cloning. Some forerunner keystones nearly showed the way to a Halo ring, and Cortana took over the Master Chief's body to save the day. Kay, tell us all about Halo. <laughs> He's such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, you're so excited. I think this is one of those... Listeners, this is one of those joyous occasions where we, Kay and I, have been ex- excused mm. from reviewing this. Yeah. We got it's season two. Yeah. It's like we, do, we concentrate on new stuff, mostly yeah. apart yeah. from 12 season seasons. Season 12 of season, season, season. Not final season. <laughs> oh, we, had, we had this pass yeah. exchange on the yes. WhatsApp group. So, James, I'll deal with it. This is a James only review, yeah. listeners, of Go his on, one of his. Knock yourself out, yeah. look at him. Yeah. To be fair, you, neither of you would have got anything out of watching this. Like, anything what, like you all. watching the first five minutes of no but just Grove. because it's such a like genuinely so so all of that stuff I just recapped I, I I read up on on the way in this morning like I had not read up on it before because I thought oh yeah if I remember Halo it was brilliant couldn't remember what the fuck happened at the end of season one so at the beginning of season two <laughs> I was even I was just like I don't know what is happening <laughs> like I don't remember where we left things I don't know what's going on and they didn't do a handy recap well not in the so I, I had an early cut of mm, it so I saw it a while ago so I uh I, yeah indeed yeah. Uh, so <laughs> but that is the thing isn't it sorry to interrupt is that often we don't get actually the recap yeah. that actual viewers because will because it's an unfinished yeah. version of the show yeah and often I think oh I really need a recap but, but the viewers will I bet there'll definitely be a recap won't they oh yeah finished. I would have thought yeah. so. so the one I saw I mean had unfinished effects but it had loads and loads of production notes on it you know where, where they were saying where the right. ADR would go in and whatnot but I'll get onto that in just a second so uh, <laughs> right. it's, yeah, you look forward to that but but I you know I, I immediately got kind of sucked into the world of it. obviously I've played the game so I'm familiar with it there's like there's a covenant attack on a planet you see the Spartans in action and then there's kind of the infighting within the Spartan group and then the broader uh, UNSC as well so so uh, you know they, they give you the threads of what happened previously and they're but they're building it in a new direction and it's one of these things where it ended in a very you know a lot happened at the end of season one I now remember but it doesn't immediately pick up from all that stuff so I was a little bit like oh okay what so honestly Kay if you'd come to this you'd have just been like what the hell are they? who are these people what is going on you wouldn't have understood a word of it would on a scale of like one to foundation how angry would I have been you'd have been furious okay. absolutely Full furious you'd have thrown then. things at Fine. me yeah 100% uh, but the, the thing I'm going to point out so there's, there is a moment in this where the Master Chief fights some Sanghaili elites. Now, you, of course, will know, Kay, they are the shielded, <laughs> invisible enemies with plasma swords, you know, the elites from, hmm, from yeah. oh. yes, the Sanghaili. And there is a moment where he looks at a Sanghaili fighter mm-hmm. and a bit of ADR was needed or something mm. needed to be changed. And a note came up on the screen. And there are lots of them throughout the episode. I saw lots and lots of production notes. But You're this particular review one, the production notes, this particular by the way. One You're going to get told off. Named the Sanghaili elite that he was talking to. And Why are you excited about that? It, I mean, I, so people listening to this who know, know. Like, there is only one 
possible reason why one of them would be named, but it was just like, it was a problem like, oh shit! Like, I had no idea where this season or this episode was going, but that one production note... Wait, 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 wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Has, has, has dropped a clue as to what this season is for me, and I am now massively excited. Non- like, I can't, what? because I don't want to spoil it for anyone, so I'm just going to say, so any you, anyone who knows right. Halo enough to understand what I'm talking about will know what I'm talking about, I'm and anyone who doesn't won't. I'm suggesting a format point. Talk to Darren. <laughs> yeah. We have a bell and bell. Oh, really? Right. Bell Andrew. This is Bell Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but I, I get you don't want to spoil something. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so basically means that the, the, the people who are familiar will immediately know what I'm talking about and anyone else will be like, oh, are you talking about? And that's good. You, you don't need to know. That's fine. But the people who know, know. Okay. And are you happy? I'm very happy. Fine. That's I was all that, that's really all excited that, you know, about it. Yeah, so I was totally. So also, it was a great sequence as well. So yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm quite. I'm back in the in the Halo game, and I'm looking forward to watching the rest of the season. Did we review the first season? We did indeed, and I interviewed Pablo Schreiber on this very podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. What did I? I can't remember what I thought of it. So I, must have, well, I think that says yeah. it all, doesn't yeah, it? Well, you were probably on the fence, Boydie. Thought, uh, you know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> didn't hate it, didn't love no, it. Well, you yeah. didn't carry on watching it. So you got I definitely it. did not carry on watching it. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it, can get, it can get quite dense. It can get a little bit uh, a little bit sci fi. Hard, sure hard sci fi? It's not hard sci fi, no. But uh, yeah, it can get a bit. Uh, Medium strength. The kind of stuff that uh, I would say Kay has very little mm. to, let's be honest, no tolerance of. Halo then, which lands on Paramount Plus. Boydie, when's it land? Oh, well, hold on. <laughs> Boydie hasn't prepared oh, this one. No, Thursday. Thursday. Thursday for Halo. Excellent. What is, uh, well, what else is out, I should say, before we get on to our pick of the week? What else is out this week? Um, a new series of Our Flag Means Death. The final season the final of Our Flag season. Means Death because it's been yes. cancelled. Oh, has. yes. And actually, do you know what? While mm-hmm. we are, sorry, I know. Mm-hmm. I know this isn't the place for the postback, but um, one of our listeners got in touch, Tricks and Treats, who uh, gave a public service announcement saying that Warner Brothers Discovery had axed Our Flag Means Death and that season two comes to BBC off the back of US critical acclaim, but still queer and inclusive stories seem particularly at risk. And please check out our Save Our Flag Means Death campaign and petition. So anyone who is invested in that um, and the fact that it's been axed, please do check it out. Boy, you should immediately go and sign that petition since you loved it so much. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't love it so much. (laughs) No, no, you didn't. And you angered the hive, as I recall. I did, yeah. I didn't didn't love it. Yeah, I didn't like it that much. Are you the reason why it's got axed? Yeah, it's boy's fault. As if I have that level of power. Yeah. Yeah. But second series is on BBC Two from today, Monday, 10 o'clock. And I think it's all on the iPlayer as well. For, I mean, I, I can see, I know why people love the show. I can see That's it. That's good of you. I just didn't personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've learned it from you. <laughs> i it from you, Jay. They're attacking anyway. each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's season four of uh, Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Really? On Alibi. I don't know what that is. I know. It's a cosy crime, I think. It's a period crime thing, but it's still, yeah, whatever. That's going. Anyway, the big TV event of the week that's heavily embargoed. Heavily, heavily, so heavily. Is one day the uh, highly anticipated TV version of the David Nichols classic novel. That starts on Thursday. Well, it all arrives as is is Netflix's won't on Thursday. Um, And there's loads and loads of episodes of that because, yeah. And um, we are interviewing um, the stars, Ambi Kamod and Leah Woodall. Um, So that will be in the next uh, episode. How much time are you going to spend about that White Lotus scene that you can't get over? 
personal attack from Kayla. I'm like, oh, wow. expecting that. Jesus. Well, no. now, now that you've... I'm not going to mention it at all now. No. It's just any time... No. <laughs> She's God. coming for you, boy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry. I was unexpected. No, I didn't no. mean it to sound spiky. No, I just meant because every time we talk about White Lotus, you always bring up and saying how shocking that scene is. Every time. I mean... Okay, listen. Wow. Listeners. Mean, there's a lot. If you've heard Boyd mention it before... Get I mentioned it a couple of times. I think you're confused. Yeah, and anyway, I mentioned it a couple, but I'll certainly be asking him about the extremes his character went through in the White Lotus. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And there'll be commods in this 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 will this will hurt. This is gonna hurt. This is going to hurt, yeah. But thanks, yeah. Speaking of one day, or rather one day more, my uh, love for Les Mis was reciprocated yes. by the uh, listenership quite uh, vociferously. Mm. So uh, oh, was it? I missed that. A lot of Les Mis stands listen oh, okay. to this podcast, so yeah. I've been in trouble with them and trouble with uh, <laughs> yeah the flag the flag the hive. flag hive um, uh, apparently Leo Wardour is the, <laughs> the white lotus you've spoken that way more sensitively mm. than I thought oh, apologies apologia uh, what is our pick of the week I mean that's got to be Curb obviously. yeah and I w- you know obviously it is Curb for me but actually I want to support a new comedy so I'm going go ahead it's tricky. You? It's tricky. Is it? I mean, it's Halo for me. But oh, I, uh, yeah. but but if I were to pick one out that I was recommending to you know n- normies like normal people that aren't freakish like me, uh, Goed, I think everyone should give Goed a go. Mm. Goed, Goed, and watch it. I have it. to say, I never expected James to be a champion of this working class vibrant. Yeah. I'm unpredictable. Comedy. You are. <laughs> you really are. I'm a, a maverick. Yeah. 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 Or you're certainly less predictable than people might think. Fochenal. No. Okay. No, fine. Okay. What a, what a low to end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Today we've had James's impression of Liverpudlian working class kids. Mm. Um, Ted. Pack the can. You do. You do. Larry. You going to try Larry no, as well? I'm not doing no. That. Impressionist. And for my next impression. <laughs> okay okay brilliant well that was the pilot tv podcast i'm so sorry if you enjoyed it then please do go on to the well you can go to spotify you can go on to apple podcasts you can leave us a review you can leave us a star rating as long as it is a five star rating but do uh share your thoughts with us that would be lovely um we've also done a little bit of research sophie has put out a poll to see if people who subscribe to pilot plus would like to have the spoiler special segment separated from the main thing or kept but it's all a bit neck and neck at the moment so it's oh, undecided oh no see I think it's so, uh, it seems to be in the lead now yeah but only fractionally separate. so that's you know I need, I need a James greater so majority I need an look. overwhelming majority in order to do something that I can't be asked to do so uh, we'll see how that goes so uh, you've got a little, little insight into his commitment to the pod <laughs> uh, okay brilliant uh, if, please 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 do follow us on social media at Pilot TV Pod and follow at Kara Barrow and follow at Boyd Hilton even though he doesn't need the followers and follow me at James C. Dyer because I definitely do uh, that'd be very much appreciated now here's an interesting I, this would be the, the part of the podcast where I'd say on next week's show we're going to review except I've consulted the Pilot TV calendar for next week and there is a grand total of <laughs> zero shows <laughs> on the calendar for really? next week which so there's two possible listen, reasons for this listen. either television has stopped <laughs> next week and all broadcasting <laughs> is off or or alternatively, go, someone go. didn't put anything in the calendar. Yeah, can, can I just say? Can I just say on behalf of Boyd, I apologise. He should wow. have done. He can I just done. say? Am I the only person who knows? Yes. For example, just for example, yes. Apple TV Plus's new show, The New Look, is next week, and and could have put it on the calendar. Yourself. Is it next week? Is yes. that next week? That's yes. not in the calendar. So that's what, what day is that on? 
I don't know, Wednesday or Friday. I do know Valentine's Day because it's Valentine's Day stuff and there's a lot of stuff starting on Valentine's Day, particularly the new look which is the Coco Chanel um, thingy. Who's the bloke in it? It's Christian Dior. Christian Dior, <laughs> thank you. Um, drama. I don't know what the um, uh, embargo situation is though. Right. So that's on. Kin Series 2 is on. Don't know what that is. Kin, Do I know what that is? Irish crime Irish drama. Crime drama. I, mean, I think I saw that. And Alison Jack, the aforementioned, oh, not okay. Alison Jack, but oh, God, Alice get the and ready, indeed Jack with Donald Gleeson yeah. and Andrew Rice. You know what you should do, buddy? You should put all this in the calendar. <laughs> I should probably put all this in the calendar. There's a Channel 5 drama called Too, Too Good To Be True. I know oh, you love it. Lots you of stuff. You love a Channel 5 drama. I do. I'm going I do. through it all now, yeah. Loads of stuff. Do you have any more Liverpudlian comedies for me? Um, not yet, That's but let's hope so. <laughs> Okay. Soon. Good. There you go. Oh, so victory. We've snatched a victory from the jaws of defeat. We have shows to watch next week. All is well. Uh, very exciting. For those of you joining us on Thursday for our review of One Day, and indeed our spoiler special for the fourth episode of True Detective Night Country, which I have to be saying I am loving every second of and getting very, very excited about. Time is a flat circle. Uh, <laughs> then do join us then. We'll see you on Thursday. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Until then, pilot out.